media mode. covers your story, your story will be built from the ground up. There's like a lot of DJ Envy uh, Breakfast Club haters, Charlemagne haters yeah. that have been commenting. I mean, you know, I've made up with Joe Budden, I guess, via the internet, but Joe Budden has been very vocal and making jokes out of it. Now he's being a, uh, ran up on by Caesar's brother. Yeah. Um, and then you, you know, you have Funk Flex who did this long video dragging Charlemagne into it too. But I think a lot of that, you know, people playing these internet games because there's a lot of jealousy and hate. I just think for Envy in general. Um, you've had issues with Joe Budden. Where are you guys? Are you guys cool now? Well, we haven't spoken. So uh, until we speak, I assume that we're not cool. But I saw an interview he did on a podcast recently where he basically said something to the effect of, you know, even though he doesn't rock with me personally, he is a fan of some of my content. You know, mm -hmm. he mentioned like the um, the Sammy the Bull interview. He said he watches, you know, he watched that as well as some of my other clips and he has respect for the work. Mm -hmm. And uh, I feel likewise. Uh, I have respect for Joe. Uh, we had a lot of back and forths. You know, it goes back 15 years between me and him. Was the 15 years ago beef over your opinion about his music as an artist? No, it, it was deeper than that. It was, um, what had happened was I did an interview with Joe and it was, it was an okay interview. It was put it out, whatever. And um, he was very big on YouTube at the time. He was one of the first YouTubers in hip hop essentially, like, you know, who would put their life, he was, you know, him and Tahiri were kind of the first, like, YouTube kind of couple, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, way before the, the Blueface and the Chris right. or anything else like that. And um, what happened was, in one of his YouTube videos, he dissed this Jersey rapper named Ransom. And uh, I didn't know who Ransom was at the time, so he was kind of more of an underground rapper. Uh, but we looked him up and he was, you know, he was a dope rapper. He had a, he had a body of work. So uh, I sent one of my guys, this guy named Russ, to go interview him. And one of the questions was, what do you think about Joe Budden dissing you? And then he responded. And, and his response was a lot more scathing. You know, he starts talking about uh, Joe and some stuff about Tahiri, which I won't get into at this point. And then that really upset Joe to the point where he took it to the next level and got a group of guys and rolled up on Ransom and a situation happened. As a result of your interview? Well, as a result of what he said. the response yes. to, to Joe, Yes. right? But then Joe then took it to a physical level and I don't know, allegedly they jumped him or whatever. And I guess he pulled out a gun and shot it. And then, um, and then Ransom hit me back. So then like Joe made another video basically uh, saying, oh yeah, you know, we just got Ransom. And if he continues to talk shit, we'll, we'll release the video. And then um, Ransom then sent us a video that he did on his own where he went to Joe Bunn's man's house and slapped him on his front porch. <laughs> so, you know, Ransom ultimately um, ended up getting arrested. All this from one Yeah, because you know, of, of the whole gun situation. Yeah, yeah. Which, but I mean, like all I said, this... I, I, we, we weren't there, we weren't involved in any of that, but then, you know, people started cooperating and whatever else. Ransom ended up going to jail. Ransom didn't blame me for this whole situation. He understood that he provided the video and he had his role in it. But I feel like Joe still blamed me for my role in this whole situation. And that just turned into sort of a quote unquote beef that just went on for since, you know, for 15 years of, of a lot of back and forth 
with neither one of us really talking to each other. Mm -hmm. You know, once we had like a back and forth, like Angela Yee had us both on the phone and we got into an argument, you know, on mm -hmm. Sirius XM at one point. But him and I have never talked with each other. Um, he had brought up doing a podcast, doing an interview with me and him on Academics Podcast. But my thing was always like, I'm not going to just sit down with you when we have bad feelings with each other without actually talking on the phone first. Now, if we could talk and we can come to some sort of, you know, just understanding, understanding of what, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like me and Wack have yeah. an understanding. Yeah. If Wack wants to do an interview with me, I'd be open to it right yeah, now. Yeah. Me and Emily Chopper were going at each other's throats at one point. Right now? Not right no, now. No, no, not right. right now. Before, we were calling each other all types of bitches and, you know. Where's this happening on Twitter? On Twitter. Because I'm not as active yeah. on Twitter, but your Twitter, yeah. we're going to get to this Twitter. Your Twitter is spicy. <laughs> yeah. I'm feeling like I need to jump yeah, in the no, mix. Yeah, no, me and, because, you, know, you know, because remember there was the whole thing with Emily Chopper claiming he could heal everybody. Yeah. And I was like, this is bullshit. You're a snake oil salesman. And then he would start calling me names. I'm calling him names or whatever. But we got on the phone. Yeah. And we talked. And he ended up getting, when we sat down and did our interview, it ended up being his biggest interview ever. Yeah. Right? Because there was the, the drama that went along with it, but there was also the mutual respect. Right. And I respected his opinion and he respected mine, ultimately. Yeah. So if me and Joe talk, and I'm, I'm, I'm open to it. I'm open to having a conversation with him. He may but not why is, why is Joe so emotional, though? Because Joe and I fell out over an interview with Tahiri. I mean, he said what he yeah. said on his show, and then I went on Drink Champs, and then we, you know, I guess, pieced it up over the internet or whatever. I, I didn't have... An issue with Joe. In fact, I don't care what anybody says about me in an interview. If it's fact, if you have an opinion. Now, you come at me shady, you say some shit that's not true, then I'm going to come for you. But um, how, how can people be in this space and be emotional, too? I mean, we're all emotional. Are you emotional? Yeah. So you I'm, care when people I'm, attack I'm, you? I'm petty. You know, no. I mean, like... I'm, I, but you could be petty and not emotional. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm not really emotional. But you know what I'm saying? Because at the end of the day, I feel like... Unless something really vicious, serious happened, or unless some lines got crossed, um, you know, you're talking about raping kids or some weird shit like that, it's like, just talk. Right. Just whatever. You know, but I, th I think with Joe, see, Joe's in front of the camera and Joe depends on, he doesn't depend on guests, right? He does occasionally have guests, but really Joe is known it's really for about his, his personality yeah. and what he puts out there. I think with Joe, he stands on certain things and he has certain kind of values that I feel, you know, that he thinks that his, his audience sort of gravitates themselves towards. So maybe making peace with Vlad doesn't quite go along with those values for whatever reason. But that's cool. I understand that. Joe's been very successful. Uh, Joe got into this after me in a way, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of the podcasting, whatever you want to call it. And he's, you know, he's done extremely well. Like, I'm, I'm happy for Joe. The fact that he got assaulted recently in that strip club. Yeah. Like, I remember academics asked me that, and I'm like, I take no pleasure yeah, in this. I, at I, all. I, I at all. I you would like think that. I'd be like, yeah. I'm like, nah, not at all, man. Yeah. A, a man in his 40s who's minding his own business who gets sucker punched in a strip club is is, is sad. And, and I, I think it was foul, whoever did it, and I hope he's okay. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, I take no pleasure or delight in that. And... Um, you know, at some point, me and Joe might be cool or we might not be. Who knows? You know, I don't like seeing people who have opinions get attacked, too, because this is just what we do for work. And I feel right. like people have to become less emotional. And it, I, I'll go back to blaming a lot of these publicists and managers. Like, you need to understand, Vlad has a relationship with every celebrity on the planet. I have a relationship with every celebrity 
on the planet. Some of you just choose not to participate. Now, if you participate, then there's a platform and a process in which the relationship will show the best version of you. Um, you know, I've said that to Megan Thee Stallion several times personally, online, through my show. She says she wants to come on. She doesn't come on. She's healing. Now she's out again. Maybe we'll have a Cobra Hot Girl Summer. I don't know. Would you have interviewed Tori? Uh, yeah. Do you think Tori shot Meg? Yes. And do you think now that everybody's wanting to free Tory like they want to free R. Kelly, he just got to do his time the way the man that was trapped in the closet has to? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I've been saying it for a year and a half. I was like, Tory shot Megan and he's going to jail. And he DM'd me trying to figure out what I knew. And I'm like, what I know is what I know. It's obvious what happened. It's clear. And he's like, oh, you, you the police. And I'm like, all right. I mean, yeah, you do got a badge now, Vlad. I got a badge. You now. should wear that badge. You got a tip. We got to get a picture of Vlad, Vlad in that badge. <laughs> uh. um, yeah, no, but it was like hip hop. I mean, not just hip hop, but just entertainment. People have this love affair with an artist that they like, and they feel that they can do no wrong, especially if the artist puts out a certain message out there. Like Nicki Minaj. Like Nicki Minaj, like Tori, like Young Thug, and so forth. Like, you know, I mean, like I've been saying for the past year that these lyrics that Young Thug did about shooting people's moms and stuff like that are, are going to bite him. And just yesterday, you know, it was announced that these lyrics are part of the trial. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, oh, you're a hater. You know, this is, you know, protect black art. And it's like, you can't rap about shooting people's moms if someone's mom, someone who you're beefing with their mom got shot. Like, mm -hmm. like it's just common sense. Mm -hmm. it's, 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 at the end of the day, it's not a popularity contest. It's a court of law. So, with the Tory thing for a long time and saying, look, he's the shooter. The victim is saying he's the shooter. Kelsey initially said he's the shooter. The neighbor said he's the shooter. He's saying he's not the shooter, but he's not taking the stand to give an alternate story. So what do you think is going to happen? He gets convicted for shooting her. Mm -hmm. He had a four-year plea deal on the table. In fact, I found out recently after, because uh, one of uh, Robert F. Kennedy's um, PR people, I guess it also worked with Tory also. I found out he actually had a three-year plea deal on the table initially. So you turn down a three-year plea deal and you end up getting 10 years mm -hmm. because you somehow have it in your head that you're going to fool everybody because online, everyone's siding with you. Mm -hmm. But all that shit doesn't matter in a courtroom. It's the evidence. And it's the jury and it's the judge. And look what happened. What do you think about, there's this video going around of Megan telling the story of when she was shot and she's saying it different ways. Like one way she said, oh, he was reaching over this way, shooting me and then shooting out the window. What, do you think that that tears at the credibility of Meg or is it just maybe she was recounting it differently at different times? I think it was a whole bunch of drunk people <laughs> <laughs> right. who are fucking each other, who are mad and intoxicated, possibly on other drugs, pills, whatever the hell else, you know, and, and all hell breaks loose and someone ends up getting shot. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, everyone's pointing at the same person as the shooter. And when Kelsey took the stand, there's clearly witness tampering that was involved. Right. That was so clear to the point where they had to play her entire original testimony to the jury. Right. So, so you could say that, yes, yes, Megan said that she wasn't sleeping with Tori. Okay, you know, women don't want to look like hoes or whatever else, so they're going to try to make themselves look a certain type of way. Whatever else, yes, th there is some stuff that, that Megan said that wasn't completely consistent, but ultimately... She said she didn't sleep with him, too. 
Yeah, that's what I'm saying. She originally said that she didn't sleep with yeah. him and then later on said that she did sleep with him. Right. So, yes, there are some stuff there that's a little bit gray area, but ultimately she did get shot. Mm-hmm. But I think more importantly, when you look at the situation, like, like I remember a lawyer that was close, that actually deals with the judge, told me that if Tory was his client, he could have easily gotten him a year and five years probation because Megan was not cooperating initially. Right. Megan didn't even say that Tori shot her initially. And then Tori decides to go and do a mixtape mocking her. The whole video and everything. I mean, there's a line in there saying how you get shot when no bones or tendons get hit. Right. Like that's a line in the mixtape. And trolling when the baby brought him out on stage. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I'm just saying like, you know, from everything that I saw, you just had an out of control client mm-hmm. as Tori. That no matter what the lawyers would say or whatever else... Tory believed that there's some higher power. I remember before the trial, he's like, I'll show you how powerful my God is and you're all going to eat your words and watch this. Only to get found guilty right, right. afterwards. So, so you could, that's the problem of letting social media in your fans and whatever else cloud your judgment to the real situation. And that is, if you shoot someone and they testify that you shot them, you're probably going to prison. You should take that plea deal. You should take that plea, especially if it's a woman. Yeah. You should take that plea deal. Well, you know who else got away with this whole situation that never got brought up on charges who shouldn't, who should have? It's Kylie Jenner. Now, you know, she's the one that put them all out the house that night when they were drunk. Somehow Kylie got out of trouble. Kylie, I don't know. It's Kylie's fault, right? It was the ghost of Robert Kardashian that got you off. The yeah, I, mean, well, I mean, wasn't he like Tori was like trying to flirt with Ky- uh, Kylie? Yeah, like, in the pool. That's, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Like, there's so much. Between the jealousy and the, the three-way love and the alcohol, triangle and, alcohol. and the alcohol and everything else, it's just a fucking mess. But, but I'll say this, and everyone should listen to this very carefully. If you take that gun out of the equation, none of this shit would have happened. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, just take the gun out of the equation. Let it be a slap fight or even a fist fight mm-hmm. for that matter. None of this would... Nobody would be in jail. Nobody would have you know, nerve damage. Nobody would have their lives fucked up. Nobody would, would they would have these booming, huge careers. They probably would have made up. But you start bringing guns into a situation. There's no reason for a gun to have been in that situation at all. Right. But Tory had a gun. It got shot. Someone got hit. Someone's in prison. Someone, got, someone has damage. Another person is, you know, caught in the middle of it. It's, it's all fucked up. Mm-hmm. We recently saw the whole video that went viral of Nikki's husband, Kenneth Petty, and his friends standing outside looking for offset in what looked like the industrial district of some lower side of New York City at five in the morning um, and making threats of uh, kill, you know, causing him bodily harm, killing him or whatever, um, and said that they would have his funeral. Then we saw it at the VMAs. And on the stage, um, Nikki had rapped about, she, and I don't know her lyrics, and I'm not a rapper, but she said something about, I could make a call, 20 goons pull up. And they said she had 20. It wasn't on stage. I think it was like uh, she had posted on her Instagram. Or something. Well, no, she did that one too. But this oh, one she said, did? Okay. Yeah, yeah, on yeah, the song, she said, I make a call, 20 goons, whatever. She yeah. later posted the video of her in the studio with what looked like 20 goons. And then I started to take the barbs and all the drama. People tell me, I'm going to kill you. You should die online, yeah. seriously. And then saw somebody actually post saying that Nikki and her husband allegedly tried to get them to press me. So then I started really thinking, like, this could really be a thing. So I posted about it, and I saw you had posted a tweet where you talked about an interview that you did of somebody who said 
that yeah. her brothers or somebody that she sent goons yeah. to actually Travis, hurt them. Travis Rudolph. Yeah. So what happened in that situation? And yeah. is Nikki a goon? Right. So so Travis Rudolph was a was an NFL player that had, you know, not made, you know, he'd gotten cut from his team and he was in the process of trying to get back. He was training and trying to get back into the NFL. He had a girlfriend who was actually married at the time. Um, and she went through his phone, found that he was talking to another girl. She lost it, um, started hitting him in the head with a Patron bottle and other shit and basically punching him in the face and going out of control and saying, my brother's going to kill you. My brother's going to kill you. You're dead, whatever else. Broke his window with a brick and, you know, his car window with a brick and whatever else. He finally got her out the house. Um, she went and called her brother and said what happened, claimed that Travis put his hands on her, you know, was playing the victim role, even though there's video footage of the front, in the front of the house which shows her attacking him. Uh, her brother went and got three other guys, uh, got a couple of guns and went to Travis's house. One of which, you know, he had a sh one of the guys had his shirt off, you know, as a, another sign of intimidation and so forth. Travis came outside, Travis's brother actually came outside to, to talk to them and they instantly attacked him. Mm -hmm. A fight broke out. Um, they're outnumbered. His brother's getting beat up. Travis goes inside and gets a gun and claims that, you know, they get in their car and they pull out guns and point at him, at which point he just basically emptied the clip into that car. In the process, one of the guys gets killed, another one gets shot. Um, he gets charged with murder because they felt it wasn't self-defense because the guys are all saying, oh, we just came to talk and they, he just suddenly opened fire on us. You know, she tried to erase all her text messages, but they found the text messages on the brother's phone and everything else like that. Ultimately, to make a long story short, he was found not guilty mm -hmm. after going to trial and beating it. Luckily, he had an NFL friend that actually put up a couple hundred thousand dollars for his defense. Otherwise, if he had a public defender, he'd probably be in prison for murder. And it just, Nikki's, what Nikki has done in the past just reminded me of that because Nikki threatened academics, mm -hmm. said that, you know, she knows where his family lives, she knows where he lives, said that, you know, my husband wants to come see you, tell me your address. And, you know, me and academics have talked about this, mm -hmm. you know? Ack has like 50 guns in his house. Mm -hmm. If her husband showed up, he might've got his head blown off. Mm -hmm. And then Nikki would go find another guy. Mm -hmm. So so I just feel like these types of women, and I've had these types of loud ass, aggressive ass women that you would go out with and they'd cause problems for you with other men, you know. You like, said she you said what did you say? What you get loud ass? What'd you just call her? <laughs> I don't know. I love loud, it. Aggressive ass, ass loud aggressive ass, ass women. No, so you said they use men as crash dummies. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think it's lame. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's lame. And, and I think that the Travis Rudolph situation was the, the, the prime example of it. Like, you're calling up your brother to go kill somebody. These words are being said. Kill him. Mm -hmm. The brother's response was, Travis Rudolph's a dead man. You go and get a gun, multiple guns, and then show up. All of this is because of the woman. Mm -hmm. Because she's mad that you're cheating on her. Mm -hmm. That's it. And she's putting hands on you first. 
like one of my security guys told me about how um, when Nikki was with Safari, they go to the radio station uh, on DJ Self show. And, you know, Self is like, has her on the radio, they do an interview. And he was like, you know, because remember, Safari was very, no one knew that Safari and Nikki were a couple right. for a long time. He was like her hype man, but he was like the hype man. Ghost writer, some people say. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, people didn't know because they kept it kind of quiet because mm-hmm. you had this like sexy female and all the guys would want to think that they had a chance with her. So her having a serious boyfriend didn't go with that image. And I think DJ Self was like, yo, so Nikki, you know, what's your relationship status? Are you single? Are you relationship? She's like, oh, I'm single, you know, I'm single. And like Safari was like, huh, what? And Nikki was just like, shut the fuck up. You know, don't ever fucking talk to me. Don't talk when I'm doing interviews. You fucking sit here. And I've, I've heard of these types of really. Well, I heard, their, I heard she was abusive in their relationship. Yeah, I'd heard, I'd heard the same thing. Yeah. I'd heard from multiple people. And I remember I brought it up with him. He kind of danced, started around, his, it, yeah. danced around a little bit. Look, and, and I guess that's just the, the MO, you know what I'm saying? And um, I just don't like that type of thing mm-hmm. because I remember when I even brought it up, I remember uh, my first academics interview, uh, I said that Nikki's just a coward to do shit like that. And I, I forgot who it was. Um, was it Christopher Milan? Who's the, the dude on... Um... Oh, Milan Christopher? He, he's a barb. He's, yes. Yeah, I remember he, he says something to the, to the effect of like, oh, what, what, does Vlad expect her to fight a man? And it's like, no, I don't expect her to fight a man. If you want to respond verbally, then you respond verbally. You don't send a man to go attack somebody because another man said something you don't like. Mm-hmm. Respond. Yeah. Talk shit. Lots of things you could make fun of, you could respond to, to academics, you know, with your huge social media platform that could get under his skin if that's what you're trying to do. But... The point that you send someone to go do something, that's when I feel that you've totally crossed that line. You well, know what I'm saying? Like, you know, just look at the whole Joe Budden situation. You know what I'm saying? Like, things get mentioned and, you know, women are involved. And, you know, I'm not saying, I remember I interviewed Tahiri about that whole situation. And she was just like, you know, she was offended by it. She didn't necessarily send Joe to go do that. But obviously, you know, Joe's like, oh, this is my lady and whatever else. And people start to, take things to the next level, and that's when things could go terribly wrong. Mm-hmm. And I just gave an example with Travis Rudolph, where someone's dead mm-hmm. and someone else is shot. I've also said that Nikki and her husband should be brought up on racketeering charges. I feel at this point, you know, we have the woman who said, the woman who he was convicted of raping when he was 16 years old say that they've tried to pay people. We had an ex-girlfriend of Kenneth Petty come forward with a bloody face saying that he or people associated with him have hurt her. You have him in... New York City looking for offsets saying we're planning your funeral. We have a person who used to be in the streets who's more than capable and connected saying that they were approached to uh, be paid to come impress me and chose not to. You have all these examples of potential opportunities of violence that's associated with this woman who's behind it, either funding it, supporting it, or fueling it. When does it rise to the case of she should be locked up or she should there should be some type of Call from Joe Biden to the Department of Justice to like look into an inquiry of federal charges. I don't know. I don't know, man. I mean, obviously she has, she'll have the best lawyers. So I think that's kind of a hard, you know, a hard line to cross. You know, but look, I, I had a home invasion happen over a, a girl and an ex-boyfriend, and, and I, I just, I just think how, you know, things can get very ugly very quickly when women and sex are involved and emotions, and you have someone that is pushing the line, especially. 
you know, look, you've got a Kenneth Petty who, like his whole life revolves around Nicki Minaj, mm -hmm. right? His life was completely transformed. He's now living in mansions and has beautiful clothes and jewelry and now he has a child and, you know, he's part of the limelight and everything else like that. I don't think, you know, Kenneth, I'm sure, will do anything that Nicki asks. And she knows that. You know, Which is I, unfortunate because he beat all the odds. You kill somebody, you rape somebody, you go to prison, you serve your time. You serve your time. You're a registered sex offender. You're registered. You can't go to Chuck E. Cheese. Like, you're, you're, you beat all the odds. No, like you, you can't go to Chuck E. Cheese. You, I never thought about I that. I used to love right. going to Chuck E. Cheese, right? I love Chuck E. Cheese. Like, right. Best like, pizza, by the way. Chuck E. Cheese. Y'all are sleeping. Best, get, get, best it, pizza. Get it. If you don't want to look weird by going there, just get it through DoorDash. You're, you're never going to see the mouse. <laughs> you're never going to get to go to Disneyland, right? Like there's Yeah, things, you're right. There's but, but, places, he, but, yeah. but even though I'm joking, right? Kenneth, I'm being petty. You should understand that. He beat all the odds. He, he beat all the odds. He made it out of prison. He served his time. I was the first person to say, hey, you serve your time. Yeah. You do what you, you do your bid. Now you're out. And it is what it is. I don't mean, you know, because we all have a past. I haven't killed nobody. And I haven't raped nobody. But I understand, like, you go through stuff in life and that you come on the other side of it. You just want a chance to live your life. But now it's like he's become this personal watchdog, a tag dog for Nicki Minaj. And now it's like the whole, you're out there in the world and doing things that are going to lead you back to prison. It was really weird how Nicki put out that tweet saying, oh, Barb's, please don't threaten anyone. Did you believe it? Half. I mean, it almost sounded like she wanted a monopoly on that shit. Like, I want to do all threatening. I saw it differently. I saw it as... I'm joking, of course. But no, I yeah. saw it differently as you had all this stuff go on with Offset and Cardi. I went publicly. I said that I think Nikki and Kenneth want Cardi and Offset dead. I've said that I'll stand on that. Um, you then have Kenneth get the 120 days home confinement as a result, which means not only can he not go to Chuck E. Cheese, he can't even go in the front yard. And then Nikki's been dead silent pushed her album release date back and then now is putting this statement out that looked like it was generated by a publicist because people are probably asking questions. Like you have, you tweeted, academics showed the DMs to me. Yeah. I posted that you hired somebody. There's, there's probably a lot of people asking questions and that's her one thing to point back to decades later and say, look, I told the Barb's to stand down. And I said on my podcast recently, Trump told the Proud Boys stand, stand down and stand by. But they were still standing by ready to climb up the the Capitol and kill the president, vice president. I mean, you know how to fix all this? If I was Nikki, go work it out with Cardi. Mm -hmm. Nothing happened between y'all. Mm -hmm. No, seriously. Like, it's really a bunch of, it's a big nothing burger that's happening between y'all. It's, you know, someone slightly older, someone slightly younger. Everyone is talented. You can't say Nikki's not talented. Oh, she's she extremely is. talented. She, she, she's dope. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't want anyone to, to think that I'm a, I'm a Nikki hater. I've interviewed Nikki before. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? She's, I remember she was my first, this was I think around 2000, maybe early 2009, my first studio ever, which was like in the studio in, in Chinatown. She came through to record. This was before anyone knew about her and everyone in the studio was just like, who is this? <laughs> like, not looks wise, but just on the mic, it was like, yo, like, who is this? Like the talent level was like- She was competing with the men. Yeah, yeah. 100%, she was better than the men. Yeah. And it's like, yo, like, for some reason, with women, this doesn't seem to get squashed because, you know, look, Kim is still, and Nikki is still has whatever weird thing they have between her. Kim and Foxy never work shit out. For some reason, I don't know why it runs deeper with women, but I'm not a woman, so I can't mm -hmm. tell you. But at the end of the day, if Nikki and Cardi just pieced it up, 
Or go to a park with your sweats on and beat each other up one good time and get it over with. <laughs> That's not going to happen. But but if they just basically said, fuck it, let's just do a song together. It'd be the biggest song ever for both of them. It would be dope. It'd be a dope-ass message. It'd be great for women in hip-hop and hip-hop. It'd be great for women in hip-hop. It'd send, it'd send a, a great message to all the the fans for both of them. And there's hundreds of millions of fans for both of them. And I can imagine if something really fucked up happened between them. Like someone got stabbed or someone lost a million dollars or, you know, like something really like fucked up happened. But it's it's all a bunch of nothing. It's all a bunch of egos. And, you know, like if you notice all the people I speak to, like, like I said, me and Wack just had a conversation. Yeah, we had some words with each other. Okay. 10 years ago. We've all made money since then. Who cares? There's some business on the table. I don't want to pass his business up and he doesn't want to pass his business up. So we got on the phone and we joked about it. Mm-hmm. And it was over. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Wack. Right. You know? But it takes a certain ego to be set aside to do that. If me and Joe never talk again, I, I have put it out there now multiple times. If Joe ever wants to get on the phone, I'm, I'm down with it. Mm-hmm. Or, or not. Whatever. I don't take shots. If you notice, I'm not taking shots at Joe. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm, and, and I'm also applauding his success. Mm-hmm. You don't see this with Nikki and Cardi. They're basically like, fuck you, both, both, both of them at the same time. Would you interview Rory and Mal? Rory, um, oh. Rory was, Mal, I actually did want to have a conversation with because he seemed like kind of the cool one. Rory would take shots at me on Joe's podcast but it just seemed because he was writing for Joe because me and Rory don't have a, a conversation. But Rory I had to have a, a relationship of any sort. Um, I think I remember at one point um, when China Mac was interviewing me, he hit up Rory and said, oh, do you want to talk to Vlad? He's online right now. And Rory said no, but maybe because it was online. But once again, I don't really, I have no animosity towards Rory. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like I, None whatsoever. I feel like he was riding on me because Joe... And now him and Joe hate each other. So it's like. But it's interesting because I met both too. I had the same ex- experience with both. And I think I didn't have beef with Joe at the time. I think Rory's attitude was just shitty like that. I mean, he had like this little edge on him. But the reason why I asked is because if you were to interview both of them and they say anything disparaging to Joe, he would take it personal. When really it's just an interview. I feel like everybody has the right to an interview if you want to interview them. If what they say, why do you think we get the ownership of what they say instead of them holding the people that say it accountable? What do you mean? Like, for example, if you interview Rory and Mal and they say something bad about Joe, he's going to be mad at you. Me? Yeah. But why do we bear the ownership? Because we some, air it? Some people take it like that. Some people don't. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I think that uh, sometimes it really comes down to communication. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, Bootleg Kev did a couple of interviews where he was like, yeah, I asked Vlad for an interview and he said, uh, I'm not big enough yet. And I'm like, yeah, that 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 did that conversation happened two years ago when you were first starting mm-hmm. your YouTube channel. So I got on the phone with him. I'm like, listen, you could tell the story because I did have that conversation with you, and I showed you the respect. I said, listen, I think what you're doing is dope, but your interview, your platform is just very small right now. So I, I can't, you know, I can't spare the time to interview with you, but let's stay in touch with me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, stay fair. in touch, and then at a later point, we could probably do it. You know, so if you're gonna tell your story. He was like, oh, yeah, last year he hit me, and I had to send him a text message saying, look at the date. This is two years ago. By the way, he's great now. He's yeah, he's yeah. dope. Yeah. But, I, but I told him he was dope, and I felt like at the time I could have just ignored him or I could have given him the, you know, that's, that's the industry shit. Yo, let's do something. Yeah, yeah, I got you, and then Never you, have, you yeah. have no yeah. intent. I'm like, yo, instead of just saying that, I'm going to explain to you 
why the answer is no right now. Which you don't have to do. Which I don't have to do. Yeah. You know, and I think he may have felt a certain type of way. And I'm like, listen, you could tell the story, but just put it in the right context. And I'm sending you the text message and I'm showing you the timestamps. This was literally two years ago when you were first starting your YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. So just say it properly, mm -hmm. you know, and after the new year, let's do the interview. And he'll get to some point in his career where somebody will reach out to him to come on his show and, and he'll, he'll say like, no. you're not ready yet. That, that's just life. Like, you know, I'd love to do Good Morning America, but I'm probably not big enough for Good Morning America. So fuck it. You know, it just well, means I got to level up some more. That's all right, Vlad. We're in the same. Uh, I know people <laughs> that work at Jimmy. Hey, DeMarco. Hey, Gio. I still ain't on Good Morning America either. <laughs> You know what? You, it's something I heard, a story, you were at a record label back in the DJ days, and uh, they had a song with Missy Elliott, but she'd only do the music if they spent a million dollars to make her skinnier. Oh, yeah. Um, and now she's skinny as hell and looks great. I know, right? Um, yeah, I think that was, uh, I forgot where it was. It was, I think that was a so-so death or something like that, just at the time. And yeah, she, she was on a song, and, she, and back then, you know, creating CGI was unbelievably expensive. And I think she, you know, she was a little heavy set, so she refused to be in the video unless they spent like a million dollars to make her look a different type of way. That's really all there is to the story. And now we live in a Lizzo area where if you have more cellulite shit and you can shake it, you're a superstar. Yeah. But I thought Missy, I like Fat Missy. I mean, I like yeah. Skinny Missy too, but like, I, Missy, Fat Missy in her creative bag, literally the garbage, the garbage bag, yeah. was iconic, right? Of course. Do we have videos like that anymore? Do we even care about videos? Because as you remember back in the day when these hip hop stars, Tupac or all Biggie, all of them. Well, yeah. I mean, look at Doja Cat. I don't look at Doja Cat. You don't? Her, her, her videos are, you know, far beyond yeah. the, what the norm is. I think they spend a lot of money and there's a lot of creativity. You know, even though Bongos. She's Bongos. Bongos, yeah. Yeah. That's a cool video. I mean, I think for a big enough artist or a huge collab or something like that, you know, they'll spend the money. But it's all a business at the end of the day. Mm. You know, it's like, it's not like on MTV that that was the main, you know, MTV was such a massive platform that making a music video for MTV, you know, like the Hype, the Hype Williams era where you would spend millions of dollars like waterfalls and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That was a real thing and it was like a real investment. Now, people throw out mixtapes. You know, like record labels aren't putting the money, you know, they're signing a hundred different artists. It's it's just different. It's now. different. Yeah. Um, you're me and Adam last night, Adam twenty two, we were talking about you and your style. Um, it's so iconic. Like your voice, I talked earlier during the interview where like I don't know how you call anywhere and people not know instantly who you are. Your style of being behind the camera, not being front facing with the camera and then just hearing your voice, was that very intentional? No. It was because I was holding the camera. I was broke. It was broke. Yeah, I was broke. I was holding the camera. Then I'd go home and do the editing. Then I'd upload and write up the titles and do it. I had no employees. So before you had the camera stand or the cameraman, you would just be holding it and asking the questions while you're holding it? Yeah, I'd be holding it, like literally with one hand and asking the question. You had the VHS camera? Yeah. Well, that's the VHS, the mini DV. The mini DV. Yeah. Okay, so you were doing that and then now... Do you do you feel comfortable on camera? Like when you're doing an interview yeah, now? Yeah, I mean, I feel fine on camera, but but I think that the style of Vlad TV is documentary style with me being off camera. I mean, there's that, it's the style, but there's also the aspect of a lot of my interviews, like maybe 40% of my interviews are done remotely. So, you know, you and I did our interview in person, mm -hmm. but like, you know, there's certain people, like if I'm, you know, I'm not in Atlanta all the time, I'm not in Miami all the time, I'm not in Chicago all the time. So I could do an interview and we'll be on FaceTime and it'll look like we're in the same room, 
Really? We're not. Yeah. And Wait a minute. Me, Let me yeah. find out. This is a whole fraudulent operation <laughs> going on here. Yeah. No, for real. So you set up a space wherever yeah. they are. Yeah. So so we'll book a studio, studio in Chicago. Producers, take notes. Yes. So we'll we'll have a studio in Chicago. We'll have you know a, a you know a camera crew that we hire out there. We we rent out the studio. I'm on a big FaceTime screen, and you know I'm in my own studio. Recording your in audio. LA. I have I'm wired up for audio as well. We're doing the video over FaceTime, and then the wizards at my video team put it together and. and match the sound and match the room tone and, and everything else like that to make it sound like we're in the same room. How many interviews are you doing a week? I mean, certain weeks. I mean, I, I usually don't do more than one a day because my voice will yeah. start to kind of like let out a little bit. Um, but two, three, sometimes four interviews a week, sometimes five. I mean, sometimes I mean, fourth quarter is sort of a big quarter for us. Because so advertising. I'll, I'll do, yeah, you know, the, the ad rate's a little bit higher, so I, I go extra hard in the fourth quarter. But yeah, it, it gives me the flexibility of doing more interviews. I mean, sometimes the interviews are being done in England or Canada or whatever else, right? So it gives me the flexibility to do way more interviews without having to fly around everywhere. Now, I, mean, I prefer to do them in person. You know, like for example, I was gonna do, like, you know, in Miami, I had Evander Holyfield and Vanilla Ice set up. And I was gonna do them both remotely, but I just happened to be in New York right before. And I'm like, fuck it, let me just fly to Miami and just knock these out. Uh-huh. And so I just did them in person instead. But I was gonna do them remotely. Wait, so, okay, now, when you're doing the interviews um, and you're doing it remotely, why does the one, the setup with the drums, where did the drum set thing come into play? It, it was just by accident. The, one of the studios, kind of like the main studio we use in L.A. was a rehearsal space and had a drum set already. Mm-hmm. So that just became the backdrop because it was a nice backdrop. And then in, in New York, which, you know, I have my main studio in New York, at one point we kind of ripped the whole thing up and redid it. And then as we're trying to figure out what sets to use, I'm like, well, let's just redo the drum set. So we did a whole drum set set up in New York. I, love that. I never knew the story about that. Yeah. Okay, I have to ask you because you're very vocal about Drake and celebrities, uh, Drake and um, DJ okay. Khaled and yeah. other celebrities not speaking up. In particular, you, I think you can call him the most famous Jewish artist, rapper. Well, and the then, most, well, the most famous Jewish person in the world right now is Drake. And um, Khaled is the most famous Palestinian in the world right now. So there's this whole war going on. I have to tell you, as a disclaimer, if I get anything wrong, please stay out the comments because I'm talking to my brother here who's going to have to school me on where I mess up. They did not teach us even about black history or slavery in America, let alone teach us what's happening over in Palestine in, in, in uh, Israel. Okay, so my understanding, because I got attacked online trying to explain mm-hmm. it when it first started. The Israel-Palestine conflict has happened for decades. 2,000 years. That's longer than decades. Yeah. Okay. Now, when we saw what happened in Israel with Hamas, who we know is a terrorist group, right? So I said Hamas is safe to say is like the Taliban for Americans who understand like terrorism. That, yeah. Okay, an attack on 9-11. Well, well okay. So, so Hamas is a political group with a military arm. Okay. So Hamas became, was voted in as the political party. For Palestine? Do- well, in, in Gaza. Gaza, okay. In Gaza. And that became a problem for Israel because of the stance that Hamas has against Israel, where they, they don't consider Israel a state. They look at them as occupiers. Mm-hmm. And they won't talk to them directly. Mm-hmm. They have to speak through the Palestinian organization. So there's a, there has to be a middleman in all these co- conversations. And is that because the history, from what I keep hearing online, is Israel was created, yeah. I'm not saying that that, please don't attack me, 
that they say Israel's was created in the space where Palestinians occupied? Well, there was both. So, so what happened was after, um, after World War II and the Holocaust happened, there was conversations over Jewish homeland. At the time, it was an English colony, right? The whole area in Jerusalem was, was run by, you know, by the English, and it was like a headache for them because there was just always fighting. The Jews and the Muslims were going at it. I mean, the Jews and the Palestinians were going at it, and there was wars and shootouts and everything else like that. And ultimately, it was decided by the UN that they would give it to Israel, and it would become a Jewish homeland, right? So as soon as that happened, all of the um, Arab countries around instantly attacked Israel because mm. they felt that it was unfair. And you can understand why, why they would feel that way. Um, Israel ended up having this huge war and they ended up beating all those countries. And then in the process, they took over the land of some of these countries. They took over chunks of Syria and so forth and so forth. And that just became very much of a sore, a sore spot in that whole region. Mm -hmm. So that, that's the history behind okay. that. And so then... Um, Gaza is where this area is, right? Yes. Which they say there's about 2 million people in this Correct. area. And now the Hamas group that was elected in as the government, who I understand some people on the side that even elected them in don't like them, right? Okay, but they, are, they were the elected folks. Yeah. They went in and attacked Israel at this music festival that we saw, right, in right. Gaza. Right, so, so but, but leading up to it, you gotta, you know, because this is not... It doesn't do anyone any good to just take a, a, an absolute side and say I'm right and they're wrong mm -hmm. because there's wrong on both sides. And what I said is I stand for peace and yeah. humanity. Yeah. So, so what happened was when Hamas became the political, the ruling party of Gaza, Israel saw this as a, as a major concern and started to, to basically blockade and, and do things that I felt was not, you know, was, I didn't like. Mm -hmm. So, so it, it brought a lot of pressure to that area, which created a lot of animosity over the court. And this, this happened a while ago. This was like, I think like 12, 13 years ago. Mm -hmm. So, you know, th there, there's limited movement there. There's a lot of people. I mean, people have compared it uh, to an open air prison. I've heard that. Yeah, exactly. And, and I'm not a fan of Netanyahu, who's basically running this whole, you know, th this whole agenda. In Israel. In Israel. And people He's the prime minister of Israel. People have compared him to Trump. Somewhat, yeah. He's yeah. very right-wing. Um, he has a chip on his shoulder. His brother, I think, was killed in fighting against the Palestinians. So there's that that he was never let go of. Um, you know, they, they build settle, Jewish settlements in areas that are supposed to be Palestine and all types of shit that I really don't like. So there, there was a, a, an air of animosity and, and of frustration that was building up year after year after year. And essentially, Hamas had built something like 3,000 missiles over the, you know, by, you know, without anyone really knowing about it, by using some of the, the piping and smuggling the materials. And then, as you saw, just recently they launched like 3,000 missiles into Israel and launched a whole ground attack, which killed, I believe, 1,000 people and mm -hmm. kidnapped about 200 people. Mm -hmm. So then Israel retaliated. Mm -hmm. And then here we are. So people are now 
calling it a genocide. Is that fair? Is that anti-Semitic? I'm confused because anytime you say yeah. there's wrong on both sides, people say you're anti-Semitic. So I've been yeah, no. I've been sitting by watching what appears online to be a genocide, but at the same time understanding Israel's right to respond, but also not knowing enough history to even be in the conversation, but also <laughs> the guilt of being silent. Like yeah. you know, and we have a platform and we have an audience where sure. people are saying, hey, talk about it. And you're saying Drake talk about it and Khaled yeah. talk about it. Where, where, where I, am I right or wrong in that? I mean, I can understand how some people are seeing this as, as a genocide because Israel has, look, like Hamas understood very clearly that they're not going to win an actual war with Israel. Israel has way more weapons, way more people, way more technology. You know, they have the backing of America and so forth. So Israel's response was very heavy handed. And they start bombing buildings and everything else like that because Hamas has historically hid inside the population of the Palestinian people. They're hiding inside the schools, inside the hospitals, in the families and everything else like that and, and, and so forth. Plus, there's 200 hostages that haven't been given back yet. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And you're not going to explain to the families that, like, hey, listen, we're just going to make peace and they can keep the hostages. Mm-hmm. So Israel's response, I thought, was over the top. It was heavy-handed, and in the process of, of all the bombings and everything else like that, a lot of innocent Palestinians were killed. This is why they're saying, oh, it's a genocide. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I don't like the, the way things are being done by Israel either. I think there could have been a better way. It could have, there could have been just a ground attack to try to find specific people and so forth, but the way Israel's retaliating, they're retaliating. You know, look, if Mexico launched 3,000 missiles at San Diego and then launched a whole ground attack that killed a whole bunch of people in Texas and kidnapped 200 people, you would see how America would react. Well, I think we can use 9-11 as an example. Look what happened in Afghanistan. When, when we, got, we dismantled an entire country. And went to Iraq and killed their yes. leader and we did a... Right. So, so, so anyone saying that, you know, anyone American saying this is so bad, we would never do anything like this, is full of shit, because America has done it, ha- has done it I mean, left Hiroshima. and right. Hiroshima <laughs> dropped a whole atomic bomb on, on a whole city, obliterating, what, tens of thousands? Yeah, 100,000 people? More than that. Like, yeah, yeah, plus all the radiation damage mm-hmm. and the, the two-headed and babies. The, and, and the damage to the earth. <laughs> yeah, as, as on top of that. Yeah. America's on some fuck shit. Yeah. So, so you can't sit there and be like, oh, this peaceful country should be so aghast at what's happening. But, but that was all pre-social media. So now what's happening is <laughs> right. we're seeing it on social media. You're seeing it on social media and both sides are, are pushing their agenda and pushing what they feel is right and who is wrong and everything else like that. There is some sort of like four-hour ceasefire that's I think has been agreed to. Mm-hmm. Um, so humanitarian aid could be given. You know, like I, I feel really bad for the Palestinian people who are not involved in Hamas. Yeah. Who are just trying to live their lives and raise their families. Like I met, like I had dinner with a Palestinian family in Palestine, mm-hmm. and they were like, "Yo, like we have no hatred for the Israeli people or the Jewish people." But that open air prison. So my understanding is the folks from that area can't leave and come back, right? So if they, I, I'm not I'm not sure about the, but I know that there's blockades. I know that there's security checkpoints. I know there's you know um, you know unemployment. I well, know and and a, when Netanyahu and Israel says you must all leave the area, where do they go? Well, I no, mean, they, they're allowing them to go to, to we, There's a different part of Palestine they can go to. Okay. Yeah. So they shut down all the water, all the electricity, the hot. I mean, I don't know who did. I mean, you know, 
this is where it gets a very gray area. Remember a hospital got, you know, Bond. a missile hit, hit a hospital. And of course, Hamas said that it was the Israelis that did it. The Israelis said, no, it actually was launched from Gaza and ended up misfiring and ended up hitting the hospital. Like it's fucked up on both sides. Both people, whoever you're siding with, are going to say that that they're the victims and the other side is the aggressors. But both sides are doing fucked up shit right now. Like, for example, if all the hostages were given back, all the bombings would stop. Mm -hmm. But there are still hundreds of hostages right now. So you see what I'm saying? So let me ask you. So and and on top of it, we're talking about very hard right. Like you know, for example, like I was talking to my man Napoleon from the Outlaws who, you know, took, you know, when he became a Muslim, he actually moved to Saudi Arabia and is raising his family in Saudi Arabia. You know, Saudis and other, like, serious Muslims, they don't like Hamas. They don't support what Hamas is doing. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. This is a very hard right, you know, group that does not believe that Israel, that, that, that the Jews in Israel should even exist there. Mm -hmm. They should just all get the fuck out. They, they consider them occupiers. Mm. So there's the religious aspect, and then that becomes even more fucked up. You know what I'm saying? Because now you're talking about God, and you're talking about the afterlife, and it's more than just what's happening here. It's, it's very ugly, and it's very messy, and both sides have a fault in this. Mm -hmm. So I was recently at Afrotech speaking, and um, somebody said that um, we were talking about Kamala Harris and Joe Biden and Trump and the election coming up or whatever uh, at some point. And they said that Joe Biden is now named Genocide Joe. Mm. Do you think that the administration has more of a responsibility to play in bringing peace to the area? Or like you said, what does peace and resolution even look like when you have 200 hostages missing? Uh, and That's the problem. Yeah. That's the problem. And at the end of the day, although America does provide a lot of funding to Israel, at the end of the day, Israel is this independent country. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? They, they are going to make the decision that they want to make. Mm -hmm. it, now, America could, could try to lean into it and they could try to, to push what they feel should be done. But at one, I mean, people have to understand, like I've been to Israel multiple times. It's a first world country. Mm -hmm. It's not like, just a whole bunch of huts and dust and sand. Like it's, you go there, it's like LA. Mm -hmm. You go to Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv looks like Los Angeles. Yeah, all my friends love Tel Aviv. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like Israel, I understand some people don't feel that Israel should exist. Israel's not going anywhere. Mm -hmm. Really, it's really not going anywhere. But there's if too much infrastructure. Does Palestine go away? I hope it doesn't. I hope there's a two-state solution. Mm -hmm. I hope that Palestine becomes a fully independent country and so forth and they can coexist. Mm -hmm. Just like ultimately Egypt and Israel coexist. At one point they were arch enemies, mm -hmm. but now they coexist. I think Jordan and Israel at one point was arch enemies and now they coexist. I think that after the war, Israel had taken over some of the land in Jordan, but it ended up giving it back to them. Mm -hmm. And now they're like, okay, cool. Now, now, now we're at a, at a better space with each other. Is criticizing Israel for how they're handling the conflict anti-Semitic? No, it's like saying, I don't like Trump. Does that make you anti-American? Mm -hmm. It's the leadership. Mm -hmm. And I think people get that fucked up. I think people feel like being anti-Israeli government means anti-Semitic. No, you just don't like what the government's doing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I'm glad you said it because yeah. a lot of us, 
you know, I don't care about being canceled, but I do care about hurting people. Yeah. So I haven't really commented as much, but I do feel a certain level of responsibility when you have a platform and an audience where you have friends. You know, you see Gal Siri posting personal stories and you see Fadia, who is a friend of mine that used to work at Instagram. You see them telling stories and you're like, you want to jump in the conversation, but you yeah. don't know enough, but you also don't want to hurt people, you know? Everyone, look, like I understand if you're Muslim, you're going to... You know, or if, especially if you're Palestinian, you're going to have a lot more empathy towards that side. And if you're Jewish, you're going to have more empathy towards the other side. But to sit there and, and point the finger and say that we're the victim and, every, and, and they're the bad guys is not helping anything. You know? And you also got to understand this. Like, I remember when I, when I went to my first tour of Israel, um, I actually had to take classes uh, about you know, the politics of the region and how terrorism works and everything else like that. The purpose of terrorism, like, you have to understand, like, terrorism doesn't change, like, a war. A terror, what terrorism is designed to do is to stop the peace process. Mm -hmm. If you and I are working it out, right, if you and I are mortal enemies, right, but we've decided that we're going to work it out, and then one of my people shoots your dad, then... That's it. We're not, we're not talking anymore. Because mm -hmm. you're looking at me like, this is your man that just shot one of my people. Mm -hmm. Fuck all this negotiation shit. The beef is back on. Mm -hmm. And whoever on my side did the shooting didn't want me and you to work it out. They wanted this effect. So the terrorists win. The if terrorists the win continues. if the conflict continues. Yeah. Because they don't want to compromise. Hamas doesn't, want, doesn't consider Israel a state. They consider them occupiers. They refuse to speak to them directly. They don't want to have a compromise with Israel. They feel that all of Israel should be Palestine and the Israelis should go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. The Jews should go somewhere else. That is based on their, their philosophy, their religion. That's how they feel. And whenever we start to get close, and this has happened before from both sides, because at one point... The president of Israel and the president of Palestine, Rabin on the Israeli side, and Yasser, Yasser Arafat from the Palestinian Liberation Organization were getting, they were both generals in an army that had been killing each other for decades for real soldiers. Netanyahu is not a soldier. You know what I'm saying? He's just a politician. Real soldiers got together and said, our grandkids are going to die if we don't work it out. And we haven't been, you know, whatever, 30 years in, we haven't worked it out. Let's go. They started the Oslo uh, Accords. They went to America. Where did you learn all this? I mean, this is part of my, my background, yeah. right? This is part of my culture. This is a country I went to mm -hmm. multiple times, you know? We went, so, so Rabin went and shook hands with Arafat on national television with Clinton right there, mm -hmm. smiling. Like, you know, this was like, no one saw this coming. This was like... God shaking hands with the devil, depending on what side you're looking at it. You know what I'm saying? And they started a process of working things out and saying, okay, we'll give this land back. Okay, we'll stop shooting here. We'll stop. I'll control my people and let's just start working it out. Let's work it out. So a, a young Israeli uh, right-wing student hated this whole thing. He felt that Israel... You know, has a right to do whatever they want. There should be a negotiation with these terrorists, these Palestinian terrorists. He starts going around these other hardcore right-wing rabbis and said, you know, there's this Jewish law that says that 
if, if a Jew is killing other Jews, then that Jew should be killed. And Rabin, through his policies, is killing Jews. So shouldn't Rabin be killed? And the rabbis were like, yeah, that's, that's, I guess you're technically right. That's, that's actually a good point. You know? So in this huge rally, and we, we went to the plaza where all this happened, Rabin is meeting with the people, and this young, you know, this 20-something-year-old you know, Jewish guy goes and shoots him right there in front of everybody. And at that point, the whole peace process stops. And Netanyahu was the one that ultimately took over. And he was against Rabin. He was one of the ones that was against Rabin that was telling him that all this, that, that you shouldn't be negotiating and everything else like that. And there you go. It's your own people that'll fuck you up. Because this student did not want these negotiations to go about, and he got what he wanted by killing the leader of his own country. And ever since then, you know, whoever replaced him, Arafat couldn't negotiate with him anymore. And, you know, and it's like, so there you, you know go. all this rich history because you lived it, you know it, you're paying attention to it. Yeah. Why do you expect Drake and Khaled, two rappers, to be vocal about it when you when they speak to hundreds of millions of people and you know, I mean, I don't know, or we don't know, but they probably don't know half as much as you do or that folks who are educated on the topic know about it. They won't do anything but just gaslight more people if they do talk about it, right? Uh, Drake and Khaled have access to the greatest minds when it comes to this type of thing. You think that a Harvard professor is not going to sit down with Drake mm -hmm. with one phone call? Khaled branded himself as the son of a Palestinian shoemaker. He, he, he said this. Mm -hmm. He's using Palestine as part of his, the story. his story and his marketing. And yet you don't speak about Palestine. Uh, Forty, uh, you know, who I believe's family is somewhat Palestinian, uh, not someone, but I believe his family is Palestinian. 40 who's with Drake. With Drake, mm -hmm. his, his original producer yeah. who's still with him, he was the one that made the first statement. And I'm like, bravo, good for him. Regardless of what that statement was. And then ultimately Drake made a statement. The statement doesn't have to be, fuck the other side. It should be like, yo, like, let's bring more attention to this because this is part of the community that I was born into. You see? So you weren't saying what they should say. No. You were saying to say, say nothing say something. is a problem. Yeah, say yeah. something. And they, well, Drake did say something. And Khaled has said nothing. And, and you've seen like Palestinian rallies now where people were like, fuck DJ Khaled or Khaled's the most, you know, uh, useless Palestinian in the world or something like that. I, I don't personally agree well, with that, his, but, I'm, but I'm seeing this now. His comment section is in shambles. In shambles, There yeah. was a photo recently posted of Michael Yormark, who's one of the presidents over at Rock Nation, who's Jewish. Mm -hmm. I believe he's Jewish. He posted a picture with DJ Khaled, um, and I think DJ Khaled reposted her. There was something where it was like, it was very gray and it pissed a lot of Palestinian people off online because they were like, this is the most, one post I saw said, this is the most disrespectful photo I've ever seen. And I, what I thought, when I thought about you, I thought about you saying to both of them on the Palestinian side and the Jewish side, both of you speak out. It wasn't like you were saying one speak out in support yeah. of one side or another. It was just like, both of you should say something or yeah. amplify this. I know Charlemagne disagree with you. Um, yeah, and I understand. I mean, listen, me, me and Napoleon from the Outlaws talked just this morning, you know, in Saudi Arabia, and he said certain things about Zionists and stuff like that, and me and him had a conversation about it. There's certain things I disagreed about, but ultimately, like, he explained his point of view, and I'm like, all right, cool, I, I get it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's okay, I don't have to agree with you, but there has to be some dialogue, and when you're in a certain position, when you have a certain amount of, of a following, 
I feel you should say something. And because you could really, like if Drake really leaned into this, I feel like Drake could actually move things because of just the massive amount of a following that he has. He's essentially the one of the, I mean, is he the biggest musical artist in the world right now? You could say that. Well, Bad Bunny was on his way to take out Kendall. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, I mean, look, you know, and I remember like people arguing, oh, well, you know, Jerry Seinfeld's a bigger uh, Jewish celebrity than, than Drake. And it's like, well, Jerry Seinfeld is, is a legend. I get it. Barbara but Streisand's big too. Barbara Streisand's big as well. I get it. But do a stadium tour worldwide right. between Drake and any of these other Jewish celebrities, and Drake will outnumber well, everybody. Well, Drake, speaking out, will absolutely get the powers of social media going. So the people will talk about it more. Yes. Like the younger generation, the TikTok, it'll literally be everywhere. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But, but, and, but, but that our, could bleed into other things. But our artists these days really activists because I don't remember them really speaking on Black Lives Matter or any other issue, right? I mean, some artists are at activists, but like, do artists even know, like, who are the Harry Belafontes of this generation? I mean, J. Cole, he, he, he involved himself in the Black Lives Matter into the George Floyd thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of people, and this was the tweet that went viral that you're talking about, I think a lot of people are so worried that it might affect a business deal or it might affect uh, an album chart, or it might affect shows or something like that. But it's just like, we all have enough money. You see what I'm saying? Like, like we're all rich. And I'm not remotely as rich as these guys. Mm-hmm. Like, like, there's no way Drake could spend all the money he has right mm-hmm. now. And I understand there's other things that are driving him, but like, you know, you telling me that Khaled took a picture with this prominent Jewish man and it became a big deal is just like, that's probably what it's about. He don't want to piss off some of the Jewish people that he, you know, has deals with. So he's just not going to say nothing. He's just going to take the attacks. But I'm like, you don't have to. Like, like we're, we're all intelligent. Like, yeah, you might social media will say whatever. But like, I could talk to someone who's pro-Palestine and we could have a respectful conversation. And we could both, like me and Napoleon, like we could both understand where, where the other person's coming from without calling out our names and, and turning it into disrespect mm-hmm. at the end of the day. You know, like uh, what was the, what the girl that played uh, Wonder Woman, uh, Gal, Gal Gadot? I love her. Yeah, well, she, was, she, was, she, had a, she was supposed to have a screening where it showed some of the other side of the Hamas autocracies, uh, some of the, the stuff that Hamas was doing. And I guess like a brawl broke out in front of the theater that she was supposed to do oh, it wow. in and it just turned into a mess. Like there's just a lot of a, a lot of mess that's happening around the situation. And it's just like, it's sad. It, it, it's, just, it's just heartbreaking because my entire life I've been seeing this happen. My entire life, before I was born, this conflict was actively going. Mm-hmm. And here I am 50 years old and it's the same shit. Mm-hmm. Nothing has changed. You know, when you think about Black Lives Matter, you think about the amount of people who showed up for black folks that weren't black. Do you think about the silence of some black people when it comes to the issues that are going on in countries that they may not necessarily be familiar with? I think a lot of people don't understand the things over there. And, um, you know, it's not like, yes, there was Black Lives Matter uh, protests in other countries, but not like in America. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I think, I think there was sort of like token uh, protests, but not like what was happening in America where police stations were being burned down and, you know, mm-hmm. that type of thing. People were a lot more upset over what was happening here. So 
I can't expect someone that's on the other side of the world who probably doesn't even understand that conflict, that's never been over there, that may not know any Jewish people, that may have one or two Muslim friends, if that, to really understand that. I think sometimes people just gravitate towards whoever they follow on social media and will just adopt their stance mm -hmm. without totally understanding what it is, which is why I've always tried to explain both sides. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Without painting Israel as a victim or Palestine as an aggressor, as the, as the total aggressor. Mm -hmm. Both sides have a blame here. Which I think is the conversation that needs to be had, though. Yeah. Because I feel like people feel like to support peace or support humanity or whatever yeah. is to take a side or whatever. Um, why are so many other Muslim countries quiet? Because um, I think that there's been some sort of you know, when it, when it was come to this, I, I think that there was overall a level of coexistence that happened. You know what I'm saying? Mm. At the end of the day, America funds Israel very heavily, but they also fund Egypt. They also fund these other countries as well. And everyone ultimately wants to have a working relationship. You know what I'm saying? Like, I mean, like if, like, let's say, you know, uh, Iran. Well, well, Iran has always kind of had beef, right. right? But, but let's just say, you know, like Dubai, you mm -hmm. know, United Arab Emirates. I was just there. Like, if let's just say that Dubai suddenly said that everyone Hamas can go stay there for free, and, and we'll we'll let you set up shop over here and launch missiles at Israel. Like, who's going to go to Dubai from America? Right. You know what I'm saying? Right, suddenly right. Dubai would be a hot zone that no one would go to, and Dubai is dope, and a lot of Americans go there. You know what I'm don't, saying? Let's not talk about it too much, because I love Dubai, and I don't want... Yeah, I was like just the, there. Yeah. But it's like the secret I want to keep, because Dubai <laughs> can get... We can go over there and ruin Dubai. Just stay away. <laughs> yeah. I love Dubai. Yeah, no, Dubai is dope, and Dubai is ultimately staying out of this, because if they dip their feet too deeply into this, that's going to affect business. Mm -hmm. You know, you go to Dubai, it's like tons of American brands, tons of American companies, American hotels. They want like, to attract more entertainers. Beyonce yeah, I mean, I mean, there. Dubai, Dubai, like I, I remember reading, the, like Dubai realized that at some point the oil is going to run out, mm -hmm. right? So, so this whole region that's being run off of oil money is eventually going to dry up right sometime in the future so they're like okay look we're going to set up uh, as a center for entertainment kind of like a las vegas without the drugs and the hookers mm. essentially <laughs> you know what i'm saying and that's what they've done i mean the the amount of shit you could do in dubai is really just over the top so i think they want to maintain that and to embroil themselves into this conflict of taking one side i'm sure they're sympathetic the it would work counterintuitive to their interests. It's kind of, you know, yeah. at the end of the day, money kind of trumps mm -hmm. everything else that's going on. Mm. That's what I think. That, that, that's my personal opinion. But I know just so much. So one last question on the topic. Um, who do you think has the power to move the needle towards peace? And does this administration with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris play a part in that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, that Joe, Joe Biden could absolutely change things. I mean, because so much money when it comes to Israel comes from America. But America also is giving humanitarian aid to Palestine at the same time. So it goes both ways. At the end of the day, it's, it's all propped up with money. And if you turn off that faucet, you're going to see very big differences. 
Right. Well, listen, uh, we're at the three hour mark, which is something I tweeted that I was proud that I'm starting to do three hour interviews and Vlad Shady ass tweeted, I've been doing that. <laughs> it's true though. I mean, your Twitter is out of control. I need to get more active over on Twitter. But, um, you know, I really felt like, you know how somebody's like, man, I'm working hard over here. I thought I was working hard. Three hours is a long time to talk to people. You have to yeah. really find interest to want to talk to somebody for three right. hours. But that's just your thing. You do three hours. Me and Boosie go three hours easy. Yeah. Easy. Yeah, I can't wait to get Boosie's ass over here. We're going to go three hours, too. All right, so, you know, we had a great interview, but now it's time to get to the bullshit. We play a game over here called Name Drop. Now, this is a game where I'm going to drop a celebrity's name, and you have to say the first thing that comes to mind. It could be a good thing. It could be you know, whatever, a little criticism. But it's your story to tell. Uh, you can also say something about these people that nobody else knows. All right. This is an individual that just popped up out of nowhere. Um, Bobby Altoff. Oh. So it's just a word or a phrase? Whatever anything. you want. Anything that comes to mind. Unprepared. The one thing that annoyed me about her, and listen, uh, congratulations on her getting a lot of high-profile interviews. Mm -hmm. I think I think the one thing that annoyed me a little bit was that when she interviewed Offset, she said she doesn't know anything about him. Mm -hmm. And as an interviewer, the, I was just like, like, come on. Do you think she was being serious, or do you think she really just didn't know anything about him? It could have been a joke. It mm -hmm. could have been her form of humor. Mm -hmm. But I think like as an interviewer, it's just like to go into it. And she didn't really bring up anything about him or anything else like that. It was just a little bit disappointing. But at the end of the day, everyone has their own style. But yeah, I think uninformed is the first, the first thing that kind of Why do you think mind. the Drakes and the hip hop stars that should go to hip hop media will go to her first? Well, I think once Drake went to her, that opened up a, a door that, you know, very few people have had that access to that door. Mm -hmm. Like Drake has done so few interviews. I've never interviewed Drake. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? So it's like... Once you get Drake, then everyone wants to follow that that door and, and get that look that Drake got. Mm -hmm. And Drake, I don't know. I think um, Drake had made a comment because I guess Elliot Wilson got annoyed that you know, oh, why are you interviewing with her? And he was like, oh, I've already done two interviews with you, you know, uh, hang hang it up, OG. You know, the, the youth got it. Mm -hmm. I think Drake is always chasing after the next young person. Mm -hmm whether it's a rapper, a producer, a singer, or an interviewer, mm. in her case. So I think that he was always chasing after the youth. And this is an example of that. Mm. You know, like the example is like him doing a song with Yeet and that being the biggest song on his album. He knows what he's doing mm -hmm. and it's worked for him. So I think this is kind of like the, the Yeet interviewer mm. that he's uh, yeah. kind of but rocking did, with. Didn't he have her take the whole interview down or something? Or he did, did, yeah. I don't know what the story is with that. I'd love to hear from you, Drake. Come over here. All right, what about this next person? Sexy Red. Sexy Red. <laughs> I think Sexy Red owns that space just like nobody else. Mm -hmm. She completely owns that hood chick. <laughs> like the fact, uh, I predicted that she's going to do shows with her stomach out until she is eight months and 29 days pregnant. <laughs> And it'll com be completely on brand. Who is she pregnant by? Because, I mean, that's Who something knows? that... I asked Boosie if that's his baby. He said no. Hilarious. Because, <laughs> you know, she was messing with somebody with an ankle brace. And Boosie had an ankle brace. And he was kind of like, kind of, you know, kind of the same skin tone as Boosie. Boosie was like, hell no. That's not my baby. I posted on, on Twitter. I said, who, who got sexy red pregnant? And everybody was saying Drake. 
Because she was on tour with him or she had opened Oh, that would be a plot twist, wouldn't it? That would be that would, a that plot, would be the plot twist. twist to end all plot twists. Man, but listen, I'm, I'm glad that someone like a sexy red, because, you know, shout out to Emily Chopper, because yeah. that was the first person that I seen showcase her. Yeah. You know, the whole well, niche situation. Out, yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? But, like, the fact that a girl, you know, who is not, like, a Nicki Minaj, all glamorous or whatever else, she's like, yo, you know, she'll take her wig off. You know, she'll have no makeup on. And the fact that people just love her and are uh, drawn to her the way they are, of her being just her. Uh, you know, that first song, you know, um, you know, she said, uh, I'm looking for the hoochie daddies. My son needs a new pappy. <laughs> was like, man, good for her. Yeah, good sexy for her. Red. that was some ghetto ass yeah. shit. As some, but as someone who's seen the whole gamut of hip hop from the very beginning, to see someone like her and see her winning right now, uh, I think is is amazing. I mean, I actually wanted to interview her myself. Yeah, we've been emailing her, emailing and talking with her. So hopefully she comes on. Yeah, so that'd be dope. Before she has that baby. All right, uh, this next person we love over here, Rihanna. Everybody loves Rihanna. Rihanna. Uh, yo, uh, I interviewed Rihanna. Really? Yeah. I don't think it ever came out. I just randomly stopped by Def Jam and she was just there, and they wouldn't let me take the lens cap off my camera because she wasn't, you know, camera ready at the mm. time. I remember uh, she's obscenely tall. She is. She's like, she's big and, and kind of big bones. She's a thick girl. Yeah. But a cute thick. Like yeah, a no, she, she's, thick. A, she's a pretty girl. Yes. You know what I'm saying? And uh, I, I could say that, that she really surpassed my expectations of what she's pulled off to become this megastar. Because like I said, I met her very early. Her and... um. Wasn't that other girl? Tierra Marie. Tierra Marie. Mm -hmm. They were right there. Together, they, yeah. they were both signed at the same time. Mm -hmm. And Tierra Marie was the hotter artist initially. In terms of music? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She, I think she had the kind of a more so of a hit, hit song was before. Was that before Pawn the Replay? Because Pawn the Replay is really what. Pawn the Replay, but, but Pawn the Replay was also like, that was a beat that was already like big in the reggae community already. You know, that was a big dance hall. You know, because, you know, like in reggae, a bunch of artists will rap over the same beat. Got it. And she was just one of the artists that rapped over that beat, but it was kind of like, it didn't really make as big of an impact as other but, people. But it was a say. song that got a lot of people's attention. It got, it got the attention, but I think like Tara Marie kind of had more of a traditional kind of look and marketable look and everything else. I remember being out in a Mixfield Power Summit and Tara Marie and Jay-Z were right there. Like Jay-Z was actually positioning himself with Tara much more than uh, Rihanna mm -hmm. in the beginning. And ultimately, look what happened. What do you think took Rihanna to the next level or made her the superstar that she is? I mean, you, 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 unfortunately, it, it was the Chris Brown situation. Because she even said it. She said she, you know, that night she went to sleep as Rihanna and woke up as Britney Spears. Mm. You know, unfortunately, that situation put her on the radar of so many people. And then you follow it up with really big songs like Umbrella. And, and, and so forth, that it just took off. Mm -hmm. It's sad that that was the way it had to happen, but yeah, I think getting beat up by Chris Brown and the picture that circulated uh, ultimately put her in a different space. And, you know, look, she pivoted away from music to Fenty, mm -hmm. and that became a, a phenom, mm -hmm. you know, became a phenomenon. And, you know, all these girls worldwide that had to deal with this weird makeup that didn't match their skin tone or everything else like that, she filled a, she, she she filled a hole that was 
blatantly there for decades. Mm -hmm. And now she's what, like a billionaire? 1.6. Yeah. But she's also a super nice, grounded uh, woman, not only just in music, but culture and specifically like black culture. I mean, I love, uh, I love her. Everybody knows I love her. Mm while we're on the topic, so Chris Brown recently dropped an album that's phenomenal. He's a superstar. He actually mm-hmm. looks a lot healthier than he has ever been. She, in that situation you mentioned, has been able to forgive him and move on and just yeah. become this massive superstar. For whatever, for whatever reason, this thing has just continued to follow him forever. And I've said, look, Chris has moved on. She's moved on. He's healthy. He's still an icon in the making. He has lots of uh, fans, and he's super talented. Um, why can't we forgive and move on? I mean, we have. And I mean, I, I don't think it's a, it's a forgive or a move on situation. Like just certain things when you're a public figure, certain things just become part of your story. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like there's certain things that are just part of my story that are just never going to go away. And I don't care how many decades go by or whatever else. After I die, people will mention those things. You know, you either have to lean into them or you have to just have to deal with the bullshit, you know? And... Um, I think a lot of times when you don't address them, then they will live on. Because it's not like Chris ever sat down and said, okay, here's what happened in the car. Mm-hmm. She slapped me 32 times and I finally snapped and, and retaliated or something. Who knows what really happened? Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that, that he's been demonized because the story is the picture. Mm-hmm. She's never spoken about it either. She did the, yeah, she did the interview with Oprah. She did? Mm-hmm. She did the interview with Oprah and she was crying. She was talking about the relationship and how she's just... How but it was but just, did she say what really happened in the car? I don't think she... See, see what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. So you don't know. So do you think that people will still hold this over him until they have that detail? I mean, people hold... Even, even, with, the, even with the detail, people will, will hold it on to him. And unfortunately, when it comes to um, male-female relationships, um, the male will always be the bad guy because they're bigger and they're stronger. You know what I'm saying? Like he could have been punched in the face 20 times mm-hmm. and then he finally snapped and retaliated and then he just caused more damage and suddenly he's the bad guy, but he could have been the victim in the mm-hmm. beginning. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but oftentimes this type of thing happens. Right. You know what I'm saying? Like women will, will physically attack men and then knowing that the man will somehow retaliate and then suddenly they'll be the victim, they'll call the police and the man will get arrested. You see what I'm saying? But there are plenty of times where the women are the bad guys. You know, I mean, it breaks my heart seeing this whole Kiki Palmer situation with her, with her uh, child's father, and then the pictures are getting released and everything else like that. And it's like, this is why, you know, I would never have cameras in my house mm-hmm. because, you know, I mean, because shit like this will happen. Mm-hmm. Suddenly they're smeared all over the fucking world. But, you know, was Kiki's uh, baby father uh, abusive? Maybe, maybe not. But was she abusive as well? We don't know mm-hmm. because we're just seeing one side of it and the woman is always going to be painted as the victim. But there's plenty of very fucked up women that do fucked up shit to men and men finally have to defend themselves somehow and in the process the woman gets hurt and then now the man is in jail. See, and with Chris and Rihanna's situation, I, you know, now that I'm in therapy going through my process, I feel like the fact that Rihanna has forgiven him, publicly talked about it. She did the um, conversation with, I want to say either Barbara Walters, Diane Sawyer, and then Oprah. 
Mm-hmm. And then has moved on, now has a family, beautiful family with yeah. Rocky. And then Chris... Well, they even remember, they even got back together got at one back point. together. They remember they were on Puffy Speedboat, I, I mean, I uh, jet skis and all that and type of And then Chris shit. has moved on or tried to move on. But I, I feel like to continue to bring up Chris's past that he's had with Rihanna, to hurt, to, to hurt him or hurt his brand or to hold him back or to hold him down... Doesn't that kind of re-victimize her too? Because it keeps it her does. situation in the press. I mean, look. I mean, I, I remember because I, I interviewed Evander Holyfield recently, and in the process of preparing for the interview, I, I saw that you know Evander and Mike Tyson did a bunch of interviews together about the ear biting situation. I mean, Tyson bit off a piece of Evander's ear. Yeah. His ear is still kind of fucked up yeah. in that area, and to hear Tyson say, "I'm sorry." I should have done that. I, I apologize to you, Vander. And Vander was like, I accept your apology. To see the two of them do that, I felt has taken so much of the sting. Like Tyson's no longer, at least in my eyes, and I think overall with the world, they don't look at him as this crazed maniac that's biting off people's ears anymore. Mm-hmm. He fucked up. He apologized to the man he did it for. The man forgave him. Right there in the same room. If Rihanna and Chris Brown sat down and Chris was like, uh, Rihanna, I'm, I'm so sorry this happened. And she was like, you know something? I forgive you. And you know something? I messed up too because I was, I did some stuff. You know what I'm saying? That ain't happening. It probably won't. Yeah. But if it did, it would bring a whole different thing because we don't know what happened. But they did that song too, Ain't Nobody Business. Not the same. Right. Okay. This next person we talked about earlier, academics. It's my man. I love academics, man. I love academics. I feel like him and I sort of get grouped together, you know, in a weird type of way. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I think that uh, the fearlessness with academics is something I admire. Mm-hmm. Like, he'll, he'll go at it with anybody. Mm-hmm. He'll respond to everything. And, uh, you know, and he's willing to stand behind it. And, and I, I think that's why he is where he is. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, in, in this game, the people that are just friendly with everyone, they get along with everyone, they don't really make much of a mark. The, the ones that kind of just take a stance and stand behind what they are, and sometimes they're wrong. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they'll, and they'll go back and admit that they're wrong. Uh, those are the ones that I think really stand out. And I think academics, he is where he is for a reason. Yeah. I did an interview with him recently where I said I feel like his fearlessness and his just saying whatever he feels is what makes him who he is, which is why he stands out. Same thing. Yeah. But what do you think about him and the whole Saucy Santana situation? Well, I was sort of in the middle of that, in a way. Why? Well, because it was my interview and me talking about my experience with Saucy Santana mm-hmm. that sort of triggered his uh, Saucy's sort of response. Mm-hmm. You know, but he had, he had basically um, had a lot to say about Carisha, the young Miami, the city girls after their Breakfast Club interview saying yeah. that they were no talent, that she was a side chick for Diddy, all this and that. And Saucy, her friend, responded. Yeah. And then he responded that he wasn't going to say what he wanted to say. And then Saucy violated yeah. him by saying he basically wanted to fight and fuck him. <laughs> And then I could tell academics wanted to call him a faggot. He wanted to say, he wanted to violate him for being homosexual, and he instead cried and did it. And I feel like that's the moment where the fearlessness we talked about was held back because of the fear of cancel culture or something. Like, why didn't, I mean, say whatever you feel like you want to say. Well, but you could also retaliate without using the sexuality. 
or, right. or a derogatory term for the sexuality. I mean, you can call saucy fat. Right. Yeah, you know I'm saying you you would you know saucy. I remember in our interview he brought up a video of saucy saying the kids want to fuck him. Mm. You see that? Mm-mm. Oh yeah, I saw that video. So that's some shit I saw. You know, the funny part is is that um. So so in my interview with with academics, I talked about a situation between me and saucy. So what happened was when Saucy started to bubble, we reached out to him, like, oh, let's do an interview, right? People complain that I don't have enough gay people on my platform, so I try to... Even if you, even after you have my gas up there, he said that? <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm totally down. I, I've had trans people on my show, I've had gay people, but I would like to have more, you yeah. know what I'm saying? And it's not because I have a discrimination, it's just like there's not that many in the hip-hop space, mm-hmm. but you know... Well, that are out. They're out. Right. That's a whole other conversation. But anyway, so we reached out to Saucy. We didn't get a response, but Saucy made a tweet that said, DJ Vlad wants to interview me. I'm scared. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, that's... That wasn't shade, though. No, it wasn't shade at yeah. all. I'm like, okay, that's a little different. All right. So, so what happened was, earlier this year, I'm in New York, and I call an Uber. It was an Uber black SUV, right? It was like... Um, a suburban or Escalade or something. And as I'm walking to the car, the driver was like, sorry, this next this person is just taking a while and I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And then out comes Saucy Santana mm-hmm. out of this car. So so uh, I approach him and I'm like, Saucy, what's up? You know, I'm Vlad from Vlad TV. You know, we, we had actually, and he was like, uh, okay. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, we reached out for an interview. If you ever want to do one. And Saucy's like, <laughs> Why you do that? I was like, <laughs> I was like, okay, and let me get in my car and I'm out. And that was that's all you said. That was it, right? And Saucy goes on this whole time. I like, I don't know what DJ Vlad's talking about. I never met him in my goddamn life. I don't even take Uber when I when I'm in New York. I got a driver. His name is Mario. And blah, blah, blah. if you ever want to do it, just reach out to me. Ah. So so I so you know I'm tagged with the post, right? And I'm like, Saucy, I would not make up a story like this, uh-huh. like. You know, I, I, I was in Manhattan. I was getting into an Uber. You were coming out. It was in Midtown Manhattan. I could pull out my Uber receipt to tell you a date to prove you were in New York. You don't live in New York. You live in, you were in New York on that date. You know, and he's, Saucy sending me back voice messages, mm-hmm. right? He goes, look, I don't know, because I don't even take, you know, I don't even take Uber. You know what I mean? So, so you know, like, I don't know how you would say that. I'm like, well, Saucy, there is a chance that your driver also does Uber. Mm-hmm. And as he's dropping you off, he may have turned on his Uber and I just might have, whatever. You know what I'm well, saying? Why was he so defensive? Like, what was he, he wasn't really defensive. But if you want to do an interview, let me know I'm in Atlanta, blah, blah. And I remember he saw this whole other thing where he goes like, yeah, yeah I could always pull up. I'm in Miami. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to Miami. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I sent multiple DMs to Saucy. I said, I'm in Miami. Let's do it on Tuesday. No response. Mm-hmm. But, but back to the academics thing, when he, he wanted to violate him, he could have even violated him for being gay. I mean, he could have said, you're gay ass, whatever. Don't, I mean, I feel personally like that was a bad look for him to cry and not respond. The crying thing was a little weird. I didn't quite understand it. I guess he's just so used to like saying whatever is on his mind and yeah. the fact that he couldn't somehow mess with him. I guess that's how strongly he holds these types of values within himself. Um... I, I don't know, man. Like, personally, I feel like 
and, and Saucy even said this, how the last two songs he put out didn't really react. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Saucy is trying to get an interview, is trying to get back in the media, is trying to get hot again. Because at one point, Saucy was doing songs with Madonna and, he, and everything he, he else did. like that. But, you know, but the city girls have cooled down quite a bit mm -hmm. since then. It just is what it is. But they're, not over, but, but they're not over. Well, I never said they were over. No, but I mean, when, when academics was saying, because I went on the show and he was saying basically what he said about Christian. I said, look, they're... They're city girls, and if she's a city girl on music but doesn't want her daughter to be a city girl, that's her choice. Doesn't mean anything. I mean, um, when you when he says that she's a side chick to Diddy, she's a hoe, she has no talent, I mean, is that crossing the line? Uh, here's the thing. He said way worse stuff about male rappers. Mm. Oh, he definitely goes after everybody. Like, he had Freddie Gibbs' pregnant baby mother on his live and they had like a, a contest to like name the baby. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If you want to talk about stepping over the line, that's way worse than, than saying that, you know, Puffy had a side baby on the side chicks. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I feel that's way worse. Mm -hmm. um, you're naming someone's unborn child. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, so, he goes hard at these male rappers, but unfortunately, if you go against a female rapper and I've, I've or a female in general, and I've dealt with this also, is that like, as soon as you say something negative towards a woman, it doesn't have to be personal, it doesn't have to be whatever. It's like, oh, look, he's attacking women. Mm -hmm. That's the first response. Look at this man attacking a woman. Stay out of women's business. Mm -hmm. And I feel that that's lame because women want equality, right? That was the whole thing, the right to vote, the, the, the right to have the same um, you know, income at a job, the, you know, all the rights that a man has, which they should have. Mm -hmm. But with that comes the negative stuff as well. You should, if you want the equality, you should be able to take criticism. But the first thing that a woman comes up with is, oh, it's, uh, he's attacking a woman. Oh, look, all he does is attack women. And they say that about me, too. Yeah, all he does is attack women. He's a woman hater. He's a woman basher. But he's been attacking men 95% of the time. Mm -hmm. And y'all are cool with that. Mm -hmm. so, so I just don't like the, the, you know, the labels that he gets. And you know, in terms of the gay thing, I mean, listen, it, it gets dicey. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, for example, you, know, you could use the F word. I, I can't. Mm -hmm. you, you know what I mean? It's okay. I don't want to use it. But... It's the whole type of thing. You know, how we talked about anti-Semitic, black, whatever. Everyone has their own thing in their own community. Use the N-word. I, I don't use the N-word mm -hmm. ever. You know, so it's one of those things. I mean, I think Saucy saying that, he, that he's going to rape academics and no one having a problem with that, I think is a bit disturbing. Do you? Um, I felt it was a bit aggressive and it was a lot. I do think that when this is why I say... Um, academics should have responded because I feel like when the gloves are off and you hit below the belt, no pun intended, <laughs> motherfucker, I'm coming for you. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I I understand in our community, the gay community, the word fag isn't calling all uh, gay people fags. It's those messy, you know, some of y'all. Um, and we use that word. But yeah, you're right. You can't. So there's that double standard. Then yeah, on the flip, I, I, I wouldn't call a gay man that. Then on the flip side, if... A straight man says, I'm going to fight you, then fuck you, because I know your gay ass is going to love it. Then you're going to be in trouble, too. By the way, that would also be gay. <laughs> but yeah, I Whoa, do think okay. there's a double standard in like what you can and can't say. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, listen, dudes say suck my dick all the time. I've never quite understood that, the rationale behind that. I remember me and me and uh, when I interviewed Fat Joe some years back, you know, he said that even to that day, he would stab someone for saying suck my dick. And I just simply can't understand that. Like, that seems to be such a strange phenomenon. Like, I don't want to suck your dick. Mm. <laughs> you saying it, people told that to me. Right. You know? Rappers? Joe, yeah, Joe Budden at one point was like, suck my dick. Vlad, suck my dick. And I'm like, okay, no thanks. I'm good. <laughs> Not my thing. Um, I guess like it's a, you know, and it's, it's some jail shit, I guess. It's like a, like a jail. I mean, I guess in jail, dude, you'll have dudes suck your dick well, to try to. Well, if Dwight Howard says it. Yeah, well, that's a whole different thing, you know, or if Kitty says it, you know, but. <laughs> Kitty was so ugly. I'm sorry, Kitty. I just, it's the choices for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird space. But um, yeah, I mean, Saucy hit below the belt. And academics felt that he couldn't hit below the belt. But there's lots of other stuff that you could say about Saucy if you want. Wouldn't you love to see a Zeus Network fight between Saucy Santana and academics like a boxing match? Yeah, that, that, would, be, that would be a weird one. Yeah. That, that, that would be really strange. Yeah. Saucy has a BBL, right? <laughs> you know what? Saucy survived a shoot. You know, he was shot too. I never knew. Yeah, that. he got shot in Miami. I, this is before he blew up. I don't really know Saucy's story. Honestly. I don't think I, I you should don't. be in a boxing match if you have a BBL, though. I don't know if Saucy has a BBL, but he'd have to take the nails off. No, I heard Saucy has a BBL. Really? Well, maybe I'm wrong, though. Like I said, I don't really know Saucy's really? story. Yeah. I don't really know the music. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, oh. see, Saucy got a BBL. He's oh. the only male BBL in the hip-hop world. And that's why you're a star. Okay, speaking <laughs> of stars, this next person we talked about earlier, Krishan Rock. Krishan Rock. I'm glad I don't have a baby with her. <laughs> so glad. I wake up every morning saying, thank you, I don't have a baby with Krishan Rock. Baby would have a million followers on Instagram, though. Her baby has tons her of followers. Her baby, yeah. I mean, remember she had a meet and greet, and people would be taking selfies. She had the baby with her, and people were taking selfies with her and the baby. Her fans did um, put plan a meet and greet, yes. Yeah. I mean, baby's famous. Yeah. Uh, I, I just couldn't do it. I, I'm glad. You know, and I've, I've had times in my life where... I, I could have gotten a Krishan Rock type woman pregnant, and thank Quotes, God. air quotations. What yeah. is that? Well, like someone like this, like yeah. like like a train wreck. You know what I'm saying? Like, like a train wreck. She's a sweet girl in person, though. I'm not. I don't know her in person. Yeah, she's a sweet girl. But remember, she broke into Blueface's house and Allegedly. left a message in blood, and then stole his uh, stole his Range Rover and. It's posting of the sex tape. She's it's missing. A, she's missing a tooth. Like people lose teeth every day. <laughs> no, not like this, yo, man. I mean, like, I'm sorry. Like, if this is the way, if this is your path to fame and money, that's cool. It, it could not be me. It, it just could not be me or anyone associated with me or anyone I'm in a relationship with. Like, you you be riding that train solo. It, it, it's just like. Yo, it's just so wild what you see, you know, and it just gets progressively worse. I feel like it gets topped. Well, when she was here recently, she was actually, I mean, she's lots of energy, but she was sober. She looked healthier. She seemed calmer. Um, and I don't know. I mean, 
I don't know. I mean, hopefully we get to see her evolve. I think you would like her. Listen, she's a mother now. I, I hope for the sake of her child that she gets it together because if she doesn't, she's going to lose the baby. Mm. Right? If she does something so outlandish that Child Protective Services has to come in and take that baby. And with social media, it could just look crazy. It could just look crazy. Yeah. And a lot of this stuff looks crazy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, CPS doesn't play with this type of mm-hmm. thing when it comes to children, especially yeah. a newborn right. like this. I really hope that that whatever, you know, because, you know, people always bring up the pictures of her in high school. She was like a very pretty, innocent looking girl. Yeah. Like back then she was doing track. She was athletic and everything else like that. And now she's missing a tooth. Well, now, then she was with Blueface. And then Blueface. Well, I don't know who's to blame. Well, I mean, I don't know. You could only do what you allow to happen. Blueface didn't chain her up in his kitchen and keep her there for six months. I don't know why when you said that I actually saw Blueface putting chains on her in the kitchen. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, uh, yeah, man. It's, you you think that with the Jocelyns of the world, you've seen the extreme and then... Oh, Jocelyn you know, is like, way worse than this. You think? Oh, my God. You think Jocelyn's worse than oh, this? Oh, Jocelyn is like banned from this show, yes. I mean, we'd, inter- we'd, we'd let her come up here, but we'd have tons of security, may even have to put, like, I don't know. I don't know. I like Krishan. She has a, she has a soft, I have a soft I, I, don't, I don't know her. Maybe the Krishan in person, maybe this is all an act? Yeah. No, it's not. No. <laughs> no. No. I think, I, she, I think we are watching her in her process. In real time, we are living in her process. The Adam-22 stuff, they, she talked about that. That was just interesting, because I know when she came over here, we had security meetings, like, tie down the TVs. Put all the camera, you know. But yeah, I've had a good experience with it. I don't know. Yeah, I, man. Like, listen, I, I guess it's sort, of, it's sort of like when I look at it, I get more sad than amused because hmm. it's just like this is still a young girl in her twenties. She's now a mother. She she has this permanent child now that she has to raise forever. Forever. This is the child's mother forever, unless it she gives up for adoption or mm-hmm. something. Like this is her child. She has to be a mother. She has to take care of, you know, this child. She's, she's going through hormones. She, she's going through postpartum depression, I'm sure, to a certain degree. She has an absentee father. You know, the child of her father is not in her life. Mm-hmm. He has a whole other family that he's claiming. And it's all played out for the world to see. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, maybe the twenty-year-old Vlad would be hyped up seeing this, but the fifty-year-old Vlad just goes like, "I don't see a great ending in this. Mm. I, I see a lot of sadness and hurt and dysfunction, and the kids are probably going to be, you know, caught in the middle of this, mm. and it's just too bad." Mm. Yeah, I mean, I will say when she was here and her kid was here, she kept crying through the interview, wanting to be with her kid. So she does have this connection to yeah. the child in the sense that I get, like she is fighting for something yeah. and she's fighting to be better. And so the one thing she said that I think really touched me too is she said she just wishes more people would be, would want to help her, more support, you know? Yeah. And I think like that, that when she brings that wall down and shows that vulnerable side to her, it makes us have a more balanced view of who she is versus all the stuff that you see and I see on social media. Yeah, I mean... I think at this point she's dealing with real shit. Like you have a baby, yeah. you have a whole baby. You know, you 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 live stream the birth, which I thought was crazy. She was going to do it on pay per view via Zeus. Probably could have, but they, it, you know, you can't plan a pregnancy. Just can't plan it. <laughs> it it's just a world like because, like you know me, I'm just the opposite of this. Right. I'm like the anti-Christian rock. Like I'm I'm super private. 
you know? So, and, and I feel like I'm happier being that way. But I also don't, that's not, I don't depend on my income for that. Mm -hmm. She is depending, her private life is what supports her income. But I will say, I think the thing that also makes her famous is that she's letting us see the good, the bad, the dirty, the ugly. Whereas we know a lot of people that we talk to that they let you just see what they want you to see. So I don't know. I get the pros and cons, but, you know, I'm team team rock. So Okay. All right. This next person is an icon. Uh, Barbara Walters. Barbara Walters, uh, one of the people I look up to. Yeah, yeah. She was. The, she sat down with Arafat. Well, she sat down with all the world leaders. She sat down with everybody. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, I remember when she sat down with um, Sean Connery and talked about. Oh my the, God! I just the domestic that, abuse. I saw that clip recently. Yeah. Where he asked her about slapping a woman, and he said, "Yeah, sometimes you have to slap them." Yeah. Basically. Like he 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 so stood behind that stance, uh-huh. and he had this like. I'm Sean Connery. I'm an Oscar winner. I give a fuck. <laughs> if y'all cancel an upcoming movie, I'm going to tell you exactly how it is. And this is what I'm standing behind. And I'm still married to my wife. And yeah, I slap her sometimes. And she sat there unbothered as a journalist and said, well, what if she slaps you back? And he says, well, <laughs> then I mean, he basically said, I'll beat her ass. I mean, yeah. I mean, listen, Barbara Walters. I mean, like when I got into my field, these are the type of interviewers that I was looking up to. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, like shout out to the Sways of the world and everything mm-hmm. else like that. They've been doing a lot longer than me, but Sway doesn't push the envelope the way Barbara Walters right. does or did. You know what I mean? So these are the people who I pattern myself mm-hmm. after. You know, has nothing to do with, with race or genre or anything else like that. It's just like, yo, if you're gonna sit down with someone, yeah, talk about the domestic abuse and see where it goes. But th- that takes guts. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I feel like a lot of interviewers don't have the guts to ask those uncomfortable questions. Well, yeah, because when you know that question is coming, you you know it, you know the feeling. You know. I love it. I, when I know I'm getting ready to inter- ask a controversial question, yeah. I'm waiting. Side note, speaking of controversial question, you and I were on the um, complex hip-hop media list. Yeah. What did you think of that list? I thought it was the most accurate list I've seen, honestly. Uh, I think I was number nine on that list. I mean, listen, I, I'm used to never even being mentioned. Mm-hmm. Like, I've never been nominated for a, a BT award or BT hip hop award or the source ever makes lists. I'm usually like 29 out of 30 or some weird shit. So, I, I think that that was a, a pretty good, like, in terms of the overall players on that list, I think it was pretty accurate. What do you think about Carisha at number seven? Who? Carisha, Young Miami. She was number seven on that number list? Number seven. Yeah, I think it's too high. Yeah. I, I think ultimately, you know, the uh, my criticism of that is that she just barely does interviews. Mm-hmm. Like to, to, to win Hip Hop Platform of the Year and only have four interviews, have four interviews. And then, you know, when she was on Academics, her answer was like, well, I want people to anticipate my shit. It's just like, that's such a half-ass cop-out answer. Mm -hmm. You know, because we're all really doing this. Like, we're all really busting our ass and we built a company around it. You know, Carisha just goes on her boyfriend's platform, calls up a friend every three months, sits down and chops it up, and then goes back to uh, being Carisha. So... I, I think that it's, I don't think it's a jealousy thing at all. I, I think it's just like, a, yo, like, 
we should be recognized for the work that we put in and for the numbers that we get. You know what I'm saying? Like, if well, you, and the impact that we have, and the impact yeah. that you have. You know, at the end of the day, like, if you win record of the year, and your album has only sold ten thousand copies to date, and Beyonce was in the nominations, and yeah, and you're competing as Beyonce and The Weeknd, and your album sold ten thousand copies, and you're going against multi platinum albums, and you win. Like, how's that? How's that fair? Right. It just isn't. It, 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 it basically, you know, I mean, in the same way that like, you know, I was talking about the Millie Vanilli thing. There's a new documentary right now, I think on Paramount Plus that I watched all the way through. And they talked about how when it was announced, like the Millie Vanilli's producer basically came forward and said they lip synced all of this. There was not a single vocal note that they did on this album. And what happened was it so undermined the legitimacy of the Grammys at that point, that they had to, for the first and only time, say, we're taking these Grammys back. Mm. Because they knew if they didn't do that, everyone would be, always be like, man, these shits are bought for. It's who knows who the fuck is singing, you know? But just as you were talking, I was thinking about, like, the legitimacy of the BET Hip Hop Award, at least even it, for that category, to me, is zero. It's, it's, it's zero. It's zero. It's people, like... People are now tagging me saying, Jason uh, Lee better win. I don't even Yeah, the fact... Okay, yeah, so great example. The fact that you, you weren't even nominated, were yeah, you? Yeah, no, I wasn't I mean, that's just silly. But you know what? You know who was nominated? Rap Caviar. The fuck is Rap Caviar? It's a playlist. Right. Yeah, but that's why now I'm not even, I don't want to be nominated. Like, I don't care. Like, rap caviar. Like, okay, Nori, I get it. Joe Budden, I get it. Yeah. Like, I don't have to be friends with everyone to, to, to appreciate to what they it, did. Yeah. But it's like, you don't get nominated. Academics don't get nominated. Okay, me and Adam don't get nominated. Okay, we're white. It's the Black Entertainment Television Awards. Okay, I get that. It's owned by a Jewish woman. Well, it's, a, it's part of a corporation. BET is owned by a white woman. No, it's not. It's yes. part of a corporation. Sherry Redstone owns it. BET is not privately owned. It's part of... It's Viacom. part of a Viacom. Yeah. Viacom is a corporation. Right, but... It's got stock. Nobody owns it. The person who's over it is a white woman. And maybe, what, the CEO yes. or whatever else? Okay, maybe. <laughs> but she's but not it's not owner. black-owned, it's black-targeted. So in, in essence, like... Well, BET but it's, is, it's, a, it's a corporation. Yeah. It's, it's like Amazon or Apple. I mean, it's owned by the shareholders. Yeah. Right? It's but it got used stock. To be owned black, it used to be black-owned. Well, by, by Bob... Um, Johnson. Bob Johnson. But he yeah. sold it. Yeah. At the point that he sold it, it's owned by a corporation. Right. It's not owned by any race. It's owned by the shareholders. And the shareholders fluctuate on a, on a daily basis, depending on how the stock is bought or sold. But anyways, the fact that it's black-targeted, it's got the word black in it, I can see why me and Adam aren't going to be nominated. And I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I, I would never cry yeah, about but it. But let, let, let's talk about the hypocrisy in that. Those but the fact that you and academics yeah. aren't nominated. Yeah, it's crazy. And then Carisha wins. Yeah. Still silly. It's two, crazy. two years in a row, she wins. Two years in a row, she wins. Yeah. Wait, um, what's the what's the white rapper's name? Um, Jack Harlow. Harlow. He, he wins hip hop awards. What I'm saying. So, like, did he, why not nominate you and Adam yeah. 22? And this, this goes into the. The, the jankiness the of, of that category. It's the politics. Of, of that category. I, I think, and that this is why me, Adam Academics, and Sean Cotton are in talks to kind of have some sort of something. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? To just recognize the people that really deserve the recognition. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, name a more important interview in 2023 than the Vlad TV Keefe interview. Mm-hmm. I mean, seriously. Right. Like in 2023, name a more important interview. Right. You know, maybe maybe the the Drink Champs Kanye interview that caused him to lose everything. Maybe that. 
but which ultimately was pulled down. So, you know, whatever. But I'm, I'm saying like, ultimately, I feel like you have to be fair. You gotta, if you don't look at the numbers at all, it, it's just, it's just ridiculous. I mean, the fact that we killed the queen and survived should have won something. <laughs> right, there you go. I mean, damn. No, I, I feel, yeah, the fact that, that you're not nominated is a travesty. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah. I'm waiting on the Emmy anyway. All right, that's <laughs> it for that game. Let's play this next game. It's called Erase the Shade. Now, if you've ever badmouthed somebody publicly, been in the news, or had an opinion about somebody, or said something shady, which we all know Vlad has said lots of shady shit, okay. um, we give you a chance here to erase it. You can apologize and you know turn a new leaf, like Nicki Minaj. All right, uh, or you can stand firm in your opinion. This first one, uh, you said, if Saweetie did a Vlad TV interview, she would have easily done 10 times her first week sales, which was 2,000 copies. We actually reached out the, uh, through one of her people and we're told she won't do Vlad, her loss. We actually worked this out. <clears throat> really? Yeah. So Saweetie responded to this, to this tweet and said, I'm actually a fan of Vlad. No one ever reached out to me to, to say that you want an interview. In fact, I was just watching a Snoop Dogg interview and she even posted a screenshot mm -hmm. of that. Mm -hmm. So I come to find out that the, the head of uh, PR at Warner Brothers. Not Aisha. Aisha. I love Aisha. Right. That basically I was told that she has some sort of hatred towards me and was blocking. She, she said that she was blocking every artist. Uh, any artist. Uh, oh, Aisha her. hated you? Yeah. And she wasn't letting any artist come to you? Yeah. Because Choppa's hers too. Yeah, but he, I went directly with him. Right. Me and Got him. Yeah, and I, I talked to him about it. He goes, yeah, I don't care about what you know, Warner says. I, I do my own book. Got it. You know, my own interviews and stuff like that. But yeah, but she, Aisha, I come to find out that it's Aisha. And she basically says that, that I don't like Vlad and I won't allow any artist on, on uh, Warner. Or, I mean, uh, yeah, on Warner uh, to interview with Vlad TV. In the process, I kind of threw Shirley Jew under the bus. Mm -hmm. uh, and I posted up a text message where she basically said that about Aisha without mentioning Aisha's name. Mm. I recently apologized to Shirley publicly mm. about this and me and her exchanged some text messages. I even said, I'll go on her show to kind of talk about what happened. It was kind of a stressful time and I feel bad about throwing Shirley under mm. the bus because she didn't deserve it. She had always been very loyal and actually did a lot of work to help us out. Um, but you know, ultimately when Sweetie did that, she responded and I said, you know something, Sweetie, I I'm sorry. You know what I mean? I didn't know I didn't know that you were being blocked. And I had to prove by this Shirley text message, like, you know, actually your PR person is blocking these requests, mm. which I thought was just foul because it's okay if Vlad TV gets sent to Sweetie and Sweetie says, no, I don't want to do it. But it's another thing to not even know that there was a request and we're both, both from the Bay. Yeah. And it was just like, I still think that to this day, if me and Sweetie sat down, doing what I do, as, as prominent as she is, she could have done 20,000. So you still haven't interviewed her? No, I never even met her. Really? Yeah. I interviewed her before. She's, she, um, she's very well media trained and avoids, <laughs> tries to avoid everything. Yeah. I, I recently asked Aisha about interviewing her too and she said she's not doing interviews till the next album cycle, but that was the same thing I heard last time in that last album cycle where she did 2000, she would have done better if she come here. Yeah. But I criticized Megan Thee Stallion the same way. That's how we had fallen out because she went and did Marie Claire and all that other shit that nobody cares about and didn't come on. Yeah. My platform, I really feel like people have to be 
these artists have the responsibility. You all have the, uh, the responsibility of getting a good team. But even when you think you have the best team, do your own research. Look online to see where the pulse is. And if you're not showing up in those spaces, ask your team why. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, so that was the whole thing. Me and Saweetie don't have any sort of beef. You know, I actually think she ought to follow me afterwards. I just sent her a DM, you know, I don't think she responded, but I was like, hey, listen, if you don't want to do something, you know, we're both from the Bay. I'm supportive of what you do. I think you're a dope artist. And, um, you know, if you are serious about really getting out there, me and Sweetie, I think would be something that can easily get five, 10 million views. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, if I'm able to do, if I don't have a PR person breathing down my neck saying, don't ask that, don't ask that. If I'm actually do, do the interview I want to do, it would be epic because I really know how to really connect with people and really get a person's real personal story out there. So yeah, that's a long answer to a to your question. And she probably would have sold more than two thousand. So yeah. we're gonna let this stand, or there's no shade. Well, it's already been worked out. Okay. Is what cool. I'm saying. I, I already I already publicly apologized, and, and she I think she even said apology accepted. It's all good. Like shade room covered the whole back and forth and well, everything else like yeah, that. Now fix the shade by coming on the show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I also so. apologize. I just recently, I think maybe about a week ago, I, I publicly apologized to Shirley. She retweeted it and everything else like that. Yeah, I've had the same experience with um, Issa Rae. Like, I love Issa Rae. Every time we see each other, we just saw each other last week. I mean, I love and respect her so much, everything she does for the culture, but her publicist is always in the way. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of the talent nowadays don't understand how better their brands would be if they just really, like, ask questions about the relationships. Like, why haven't we gone to Vlad? Why haven't we gone to Jason? Why haven't we yeah. gone to Breakfast Club? But Anyway, okay, this next one you said, it's interesting that Antonio Brown is getting sued for scamming someone for $160,000 after selling them a fake Richard Milley watch. He tried yeah. to scam me for a $30,000 interview appearance fee. Yeah. I saw the scam coming and he got nothing. I'll speak on it about it in the future interview. Yeah, let's talk about it. Okay, so <laughs> um, we originally had, my man Coach PR, he does a lot of the sports stuff for us. He's, he's done some of the interviews, but he's also booked a lot of sports interviews for us. Um, Coach PR is a show on SiriusXM. He's also affiliated with G-Unit. Um, so he had gotten an Antonio Brown interview locked in. And he was going to do the interview. He was in our studio. Um, you know, Antonio was kind of late. Whatever. No one was really tripping off that. He arrived. And then Antonio came in with a bit, this big entourage. And I'm, I'm in L.A. He's in New York. So they're like, oh, Antonio wants to talk to you. And I'm like, all right, cool. So he got on the phone. He's like, oh, yo, what up, man? He's like, yeah, so um, can I post this interview on, on my YouTube channel too? I said, well, we prefer to just keep it on our YouTube channel. He goes, oh, okay. He put the phone down and then walked out. Right? So that was the first time. Mm -hmm. So that left a, a bad taste in my mouth. So then he did the whole, remember he walked off the field mm -hmm. and then there was just the whole craziness around that. You know, he's going to play football again. He became the president allegedly of Kanye's sports. Yeah, the, 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 this was sort of before then. But this yeah. was like, like right when he had walked out, it was like, damn, like what's, what's going on with Antonio Brown? And Coach PR was like, listen, they, they want to talk about doing another interview, but he wants a check. So we worked out a $30,000 appearance fee, which is a lot of money, mm -hmm. right? So I talked to his man, me and his man were talking, you know, his, his assistant, whatever. And uh, his assistant was like, oh, you know, the, the lawyer wants to talk to you too. I said, all right, cool. 
talk to a lawyer. He's like, hey, can you avoid this particular question? Something about Tom Brady, whatever. I'm like, all right, cool. Like, I, I'm not really going to dwell on that. All right, cool. You know, um, and I'm like talking to, to the guy. And I'm like, okay, cool. He'll get paid after the interview. Um, I'm like, I, I got to, you know, I'm going to have a cashier's check uh, ready with his name on it. But it has to be at least a two-hour interview, you know, because we want to get into his whole story and anything else like that. And it'll be paid after the interview. No problem. The lawyer's cool. The assistant's cool. Everything else like that. So we're waiting. We're, we're in my New York studio. It's starting to get a little bit late because he's running a little bit late. Got my security there. Got my camera crew there. Anything else like that. So then Antonio calls me. He's like, oh, what up, champ? Because, yo, I'm down the street. And I'm like, all right, cool. You coming? He's like, yeah, yeah. So, um... You're going to have the check for me as soon as I walk in the door, right? I said, I said no. <laughs> I'm going to have it for you right when we finish the interview. I have it right here on it. No, I'm going to need it as soon as I walk in. I said, that, that's not the agreement. And he just hung up. And then, so I call up his assistant and I'm like, what the fuck just happened? He goes, no, man, I don't understand. I don't understand. He, he want to do it. He want to do it. You know, he was saying like, you know, because he's on his way to the Brooklyn uh, Nets game right after the interview. And I'm like, the Brooklyn Nets game starts in like an hour. And he's in Manhattan. So he's going to come in. Get the check and leave. Get the check. Do a couple of questions and get up and leave. And now we're going to have a problem because you're going to have him, his entourage. I'm there with armed security. You know, I'm going to feel some type of way because he's trying to rob me right now. Blah, blah. And then this whole Richard Mill shit came up and I'm like, ah, okay, I get it. He's a scammer. He's a scammer. And I remember at one point, me and him were even DMing each other and then the fee, you know, he was willing to do a much smaller fee at that mm -hmm. point, whatever. But I'm like, I'm just cool, man. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, like this whole scam type shit is just, you know, because we pay appearance fees. We do business with people all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes we'll work out, you know, okay, we'll give you a deposit here and then afterwards we'll do this. Usually it's just when we're done, boom, I'll, you know, I'll give it to you. Like, you know, me and Wack, we work yeah, it out. Yeah. Cool. Interview's done. Sell me the money. Give me a W-9. We're cool. Before y'all walk out the door, it'll be in your account. Everyone's happy. You know, I'm not going to run out with your right, goddamn right, money. Like, right. you know what I'm saying? Like, but yeah, it was just like, oh, okay, he was going, he was going to scam me. Mm -hmm. And then sure enough, I come and find out that he, he sold this dude like two fake Richard Mill watches for 160000 a piece when they were worth about 50 bucks. And he got sued and he lost. Is that a Richard Millie? No, this is an Audemars. Oh, he's rich. Wait. You I got, got an Audemars. Oh, I got one too. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so there was no Antonio Brown interviews. And it's really just too bad because it's like, what I've noticed in life is that scammers are so scared of getting scammed themselves that they'll create these ridiculous rules where you just can't work with them mm -hmm. because they're so paranoid of karma or whatever else that they create this, oh, as soon as I walk in, I want I'm not going to give that to you. Right. Same thing would happen with OJ. We're supposed to do an OJ interview for 100000 You were going to pay him 100000 100, for an interview. Was he going to tell you what he did in the car? <laughs> we were going to touch on it, but it was going to be more about, you know, the agreement was, was that <clears throat> I was going to come into it with you were found not guilty, okay? You went to trial, you were found not guilty. We're, we're going to talk about how you felt during, during the trial, but I'm not going to get into blood evidence or whatever else, but I'm going to get the whole story. And the, the whole thing was his, the guy that he connected me with that was handling it was like, <clears throat> okay, we want it all in cash. 
I'm like, well, that's doable, but you'll have to sign the thing. Okay, cool. And I want the whole cat, like, when he pulls up, I want all the cash in my hand before he walks in the door. And I'm like, motherfucker, you ain't doing that shit. This motherfucker owes $10 million to, like, Nicole Brown, you know, his family and, and the, the other guy's family and his own kids. Child support for Chloe. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> I'm like, yo, like, I can give you 100000 and he can just take off. Right. And I can't do nothing about it. Right. I'm like, I'll give you half up front, half and at the cash end. too. There's like cash. Yeah. Well, no, he was gonna sign off and you know, whatever, fill out yeah. a W nine, but it was like, I will agree to half. Nope. I want the whole thing up front. And I'm like, man, fuck y'all. So, you know. So so this is the problems I deal with sometimes and Antonio Brown. You're dealing with this hip hop shit, is what I'm well, saying. OJ well, Antonio and OJ aren't hip hop, that's, that's sports. That's true. That's professional sports. Okay. What about this one? Speaking of Chloe Kardashian. You said, if you've ever questioned Kris Jenner's moral compass, think about this. Kris was best friends with Nicole Brown Simpson. And after OJ was charged with murdering Nicole, Kris's husband became part of OJ's defense team, which eventually resulted in nobody being punished for the brutal murder of her best friend. Kris has always been ruthless. Yeah. <laughs> That's true, right? Well, when you go in Chris's house, I mean, you do hear Beyonce's Savage playing in the background. Real, I mean, not really. I mean, you've I been to Chris's house? Yeah. I've never, yeah. I don't know the... Uh... I don't know the Kardashians yeah. at all. I've never. I think I met Chloe once. I was with French at a party one time and he introduced us. Um, yeah, I mean, what would you compare this to? Like, I don't think there's anybody else on the planet like Kris Jenner. Yeah, I mean, that was your friend. Yeah. Like that, her best, and best her, her best friend, her and Nicole, they would drop off the kids at school and they would spend the whole afternoon together in Brentwood. Mm-hmm. every day mm-hmm. and then your husband is protecting the person who killed her mm-hmm. and you're okay with this does that seem a little bit weird not if the person who allegedly killed her was the father of one of your children okay i mean so, I'm you, you think that's chloe's dad i don't know well, i'll put it like this i mean but does she look like oj just really look like oj she don't look like the other ones. No, she don't look like the other ones. Yeah. I, I, I know, because I remember, I remember this one thing I saw on Keeping Up with the Kardashians. It was like, Chloe's like, oh, I look so much different from my sisters. Let's do a DNA test. So then the mom did a DNA test with her and it matched up. And I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Come on now. Come on now. No, no, no. Like, y'all are really doing this? Like, but, but your DNA doesn't match up with your sisters, I bet. <laughs> right. So... Yeah, I think she has a different father. She's clearly bigger and looks completely different. Right. <laughs> looks nothing like Robert Sr. At all. At all. But I don't know if it's OJ. Mm. But it's, maybe if it is, it might make a little more sense. But who the hell knows? I, I don't know. It's a weird one. Here's another one you said. To all the new media outlets, if someone promises you an interview at a later date after you do a bunch of favors for them, just know that the interview is never coming. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. And people will make promises or commitments to you along the, the time. way to get favors. Jadakiss pulled that bullshit with me. Really? I remember years ago, his publicist was like, listen, Jadakiss has this artist. If you interview him, he, he swears that once his album drops, he will do that interview. Nothing. He came out. We got passed over. French Montana, there was, he called me up. There was an article he wanted to get taken down. I'm not going to go into the article, but we'll just say there's an article. He called me up personally. He's like, yo, man, can you just take this down? I'm like, French, when you were coming up, 
we were the main outlet that pushed you. We filmed music videos for you for free mm-hmm. on my dime. We interviewed you, we fucked with you. You have not done an interview with us in 12 years. No, but you know, you, you just weren't talking to me, whatever, whatever. You know, just, you know, you know, yo, if you take this down, I got you. And I'm like, I'll tell you what, let's do an interview and I'll take it down right after we're done. No, 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 just 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 wait for the album. I said, I'll tell you what, we'll shoot the interview and we'll hold it until the album comes out. No, 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 just take it down now. And this back and forth just kept going on and on and on and he would not budge. And I finally just said, forget it, I'm, I'm done with this conversation. And you left it up? I left it up. Clearly he had no intentions of doing that interview. Now I'm thinking, I need to text French because he's been telling me he's gonna come over here Time after time after time. He hasn't asked for favors, but he's said he's going to come when the album drops. Well, is there, there's new music now, so you need to come on the show. Yo, man, th- these guys will string you along and, and promise you a dream. Because here's the thing. Like, I- I've, had, like, I've had situations with people where it'd be like, hey, we want you to do this. Like, you know, like, for example, I think it was like with YFN Lucci. It was like they had, uh, they had a situation where they sampled one of my interviews for their album. And they were like, yo, we want you to clear this. And I'm like, tell you what, have them do an interview, I'll clear it. Cool. Interview got, got scheduled. Did the interview, got cleared, the end. Piece of cake. Yeah, we can do business. You know, two chains wanted me, ultimately we ended up not clearing it because I didn't know what it was, but he wanted me to clear something on his album. He didn't tell me what it was, but we did the interview. And then when he played it for me, I'm like, I'm not gonna clear this. It just makes us look horrible. Like, you know how I mean? you didn't clear it? Well, it was a song called Vlad TV. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. But I didn't I didn't know anything about it. I just assumed he was sampling someone else. But it was called Vlad TV, and the whole intro was me and Benny the Butcher and Benny accusing me of like getting people indicted through interviews. But he cut like a certain part that just made me look really bad. I would have let, fuck it. You know what I'm saying? You so, let, why you didn't let it go? It's all press. Whatever. I was just like, nah, I'm good. But the, the fact is he came in and did the interview, but since I didn't approve it, the interview never came out and it just is what it is. But I'm saying like people who are serious about doing business, we'll they'll do come the in. do the business, yeah. Yeah, like do the interview, whatever else. Like, you know what I mean? Like it just is what it is. So anyone who promises you that shit, just get the interview up front. Man, we should just start writing more interview, more stories that piss people off. And then when they call, you're like, yo, right? Damn, I'm learning from Vlad, I'm telling you. Okay, what about this next one? Because I feel this one. He said, I just told two of my toxic family members to go fuck themselves. Sometimes you must burn a bridge to keep yourself from walking over it again. Yeah, my two lame-ass cousins. Jack and Alex. These two bitch-ass motherfuckers. I, I became the, the successful one. Like, we all came over from America at the same time. And I've always been, like, the little cousin. And like, I really don't fuck with them all that tough. And whenever we speak, they always just do some disrespectful shit around me. And then I check them on them. I check them on that shit. And then they'll just not address the shit. And at a certain point, I just told both of them to go fuck themselves in those words. Do you talk to them at all anymore? I haven't talked to them in a while. Yeah, this is like early in the year. What was the date on this? September 12th? Yeah, that was about the time that I told them to go fuck themselves. Um, yeah, I don't do well with family, unfortunately. I don't have a very big family, and the family members I have, I just don't get along with. You know, you, 
just because you're born around somebody doesn't mean that these are good people. Yeah, I have a big family and I'm, I've built kind of my own world now that I live in. I mean, I step out and see my family here and there and I love them, um, but I'm just not as close as I used to be, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, just, you know, it, it's, it's a weird thing when you're, you, you know, you're the one, when you become sort of the biggest entity and you're the younger one, you, you get some jealousy and, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And they don't feel like they need to maintain a certain level of respect. Like, you know, because my thing is like respect. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm respectful with you. You're going to be respectful with me. You know, I remember my cousin Alex came over when I had a, an apartment in, um, in Manhattan and I had these Keith Haring uh, signed prints around the house. And I remember he was like making fun of them. And I'm like, motherfucker, like this is one of the biggest selling artists in America. Like his pieces go for like hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, the fuck you even doing? Come to my house, disrespecting my shit. Like you don't know shit. Right. You know what I'm saying? And it's just like weird shit like that. So yeah, that was about two of my cousins. Damn, yeah, cousins. All right, this next one. You said, so Nicki Minaj's sex offender husband was sentenced to 120 days of house arrest for threatening offset. That means he will have to sit at home with their son and not work while Nicki makes all the money. Sounds like what he's always been doing. Yeah, right. You are brutal, Vlad. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, what does he do for a living? I mean, plan funerals? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Um, I mean, at least Safari... Seemed like he was in the studio with Nikki. I remember interviewing Safari. And I remember I was saying how like uh, Nikki's "Beads in the Trap" is like one of my favorite songs by Nikki. I'm like that beat is crazy. He's like, yeah, you know that was a beat that Nikki kind of passed on. I just kept pushing for him, pushing for him, pushing for him. She finally decided to do it. It turned out to be one of her bigger songs. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you know, he never claimed that he was a ghostwriter or anything else like that. But look, I mean, he was a rapper himself, and it seemed like they sort of collaborated, and it seemed like. I mean, he was a hype man. He was, and it worked. He, it was something that worked was, for them. Yeah, it worked. It worked. I think. I think that um, Safari had a role in her success. Kenneth, I don't. I don't think so. Mm. I think Kenneth is um, is someone that uh, she knew from before, and she, you know, would be able to control, unlike a Meek Mill that had his own thing going on. I, you know, what I'm saying. I, I think like a real man really is not going to go for an overly aggressive, overly bossy type of woman. Woman, You know what I'm saying? Now, a woman could be successful, but, you know, it's always odd to me how a woman could have that level of success and have a man with just no success at all. Like, it's just, it's just weird to me. Now, for Kenneth, he, he got a great deal out of it because it's not like, you know, he was some superstar in his own accord. I mean, he, he hit the jackpot. But, like, from her point of view, it's just, like, outside of the sex and companionship, like, what are you getting out of this relationship? I don't, I don't quite get it. But, yeah, I mean, he sits at home and takes care of the kid. So house arrest probably had no, no effect on him, right? What inspires a tweet like this? Like, what, what, what inspires this tweet? I don't know, man. I mean, you know, listen, the barbs go at me. Over time, it is what it is. You know, I, I didn't like the, you know, I think maybe part of it was my, my relationship with academics mm. and her actually threatening him. Mm. And now I have, you know what I'm saying? Now it's not just innuendo. It's like, 
I've actually seen the DMs. Like, you know, she's threatening his family. Yeah, I saw him too. She's saying, she's saying, I'm going to send my husband to your house. You know what I mean? And like knowing me, it'd be like, send him. Mm-hmm. Bring him over. Clack, clack. You know what I mean? Come on, let's do this. You know what I'm saying? And it's just like, I just don't like that, that fuck shit. Mm-hmm. And I feel like someone like her has a history of this. So, yeah. So we're not, we're not erasing that. Nah, it's still there, right? I didn't, I didn't delete it. Okay, so this one says, So Lil Baby diss academics on his album and Lil Dirk diss me on his album and neither I or an academics has any idea why. Here's an idea for all the rappers who have issues with the media. Get on the phone with the person you have an issue with and talk it out like an adult. Yeah, so I found out why Lil Dirk dissed me and me and academics talked about it because academics interviewed Dirk. Mm-hmm. And although this wasn't in the interview, apparently this was from a conversation that happened afterwards. The thing is, me and Dirk actually have a history together. When Dirk was starting out, we were a big supporter of Dirk. I, I have like maybe three interviews with Dirk. Mm-hmm. And we kind of like, we hung out once when he was in LA. Like he hit me up. We just kind of met up and just chopped it up. And I just thought he was dope. I just thought not only as an artist is he dope, but as a person, he's dope. And, and we've always had this kind of cool... Um, you know, just this cool working relationship. So what had happened was, so I, I found out this is sort of the reason behind it. Uh, the last interview we did, he had asked me to take out this part. I guess uh, his girl, India, was pregnant and he had asked me to take out the part about her having a baby or, or like the sex of the baby or something like that. I sent that, you know, back then the company was a lot more disorganized than it is now. This would never happen today. But back then I sent the note for them to take that part out and... Um, the, the person in charge dropped the ball. Mm. So it ended up coming out where the part about the baby came out. And then by the time I found out about it, it had been up for a couple of days and you know, we did take it down and so forth. And I think Dirk took it as I'm trying to, I try to snake him and put out this piece that would give me some views that kind of messed up the announcement of his child. Mm-hmm. And um, that's the reason why on not this last album, but the album before, he had this line where he goes, uh, in New York, I dress like fab, I don't fuck with Vlad. He kind of threw a middle finger up or mm. some shit. And, and for a while, I just didn't know what the reason was. So, so when this is October 16, 2022, I just had no idea when I heard that. And I'd reached out to some people that knew him and he just wouldn't respond. That's why I put it there. But after finding out that's the reason, it's like, all right, I get it. You know, when it comes to family type shit, and, you know, not only is this affecting him, but this is affecting his girl. Um, I could see why she'd be like, fuck this dude, Vlad. And it's like, all right, cool, fuck him. He's not important at this point anyways, and I'll react to it on my album. I get it. I'm hoping that at some point we could talk about it. I mean, I did talk about it publicly already with academics, which I'm pretty sure he saw. Mm-hmm. But if he didn't, it's like, I'm hoping, you know, and I think I even DM'd him, like, yo, bro, I'm sorry. And um, if he hates me for that, then I kind of get it. And maybe it's something that, from his point of view, he doesn't need to fix because he's like kind of a big star at this point. But I just feel like, based on our past relationship and the amount of times that we have interviewed, and the, the, the way he would purposely put up little tweets and tag me in it so I would do articles about it. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It was kind of like, this wasn't just, oh, we had one interview. It's like, no, we've had multiple interviews. We had multiple interactions. At one point, we hung out for a long time before our interview and just was chopping it up. Me and his brother were having conversations. I remember during like this shit that, you know, they had some situation with game and I remember his brother called me to kind of explain to me what happened and stuff like that. 
rest in peace to his brother. I just felt like as many times as we've talked and interacted and I've promoted him and used my platform back when he wasn't the jerk that he is now, he could have gotten on the phone with me or just responded to when I reached out and just accepted my explanation of it. You know what I'm saying? Because we all fuck up in the media. We all, we all drop the ball. We all have staffs. It wasn't like I'm the one who did it. I'm not the one editing the video. I'm not the one posting it. I have people, and sometimes it's multiple layers. Mm -hmm. There's me, there's a manager, then there's a, a video editor. And it doesn't always mean when a mistake happens that the intention was to be mischievous. There was no intention. Or, yeah. Right, and, and listen, we're not the outlet that breaks baby news, mm -hmm. ever. That's more of a female-oriented outlet that cares about that type of stuff. We didn't get a big surge of traffic because we accidentally leaked out that he's having a whatever the gender of the baby is. But yeah, like I said, it was, uh, it was one of those things where if Dirk had just contacted me, he would have gotten a sincere apology. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Have you and guys talked since? No, not? we yeah. haven't talked in like, man, like seven years or some shit. Like, well, I, feel, I mean, come on, Dirk. I mean, he is doing great in his career. He's, I mean, his relationship seems great. I, I mean, no, no animosity towards Dirk. I never have. I don't think I ever will. Even when he said, I don't fuck with Vlad, it was... It was a diss, but not a serious diss. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? He didn't smoke on my dead homies or whatever else they do in Chicago. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it was it was very slight. It kind of came out of nowhere. And um, like I said, when I found out what it was about, it just made me a little sad because I'm like, oh, man, we could just... And I've tried. Like, I know people that know his people. I don't have a direct line on him, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But like... You know, he even talked about how he, you know, millions of dollars got stolen by his management and stuff like that. Like, if you know me, like, ask, like, the little babies of the world. Like, I've really helped out a lot of people financially in terms of just my overall advice. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? I may not be as rich as all these dudes, but I have done very well, you know, with the stock market and with managing my finances. You never hear that I'm broke or whatever else, or anyone robbed me or whatever else. So it's like a lot of these dudes have reached out to me for financial advice. And I've always given them advice without ever being in the middle of anything. Mm -hmm. I've said, hey, listen, this is what I do. You should do it on your own. If you ever have any questions, hit me up. I'm not trying to be in the middle of it. I don't want a percentage. I don't want nothing. I just want to share information because it's very easy to get caught up and, and not set yourself up properly mm -hmm. when all this money's coming in. So yeah, like I said, um, shout out to Dirk. Um, there was no, uh, I found out after the fact what really happened and, uh, maybe at some point we'll talk, but if not, I understand why he wouldn't because he's still with India and I'm sure she's like, fuck Vlad. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? What can I do to get in a diss track? <laughs> I don't know, man. I, mean, I would love to hear my name in a diss track. My name has been, let me see, have I been in one recently? I mean, look, I said 2 Chains had a song called Vlad TV. Yeah. The actual title was called <laughs> Vlad TV. It wasn't a diss track. I mean, if you'd have got some publishing of that, it would have been worth it. <laughs> you know? Wait, uh, a question about your Instagram. It says DJ Vlad. If you don't DJ anymore, isn't that, shouldn't you take DJ out? I mean, does Khaled still DJ? Does Academic still DJ? On that note. Um, but, I, but I have a, a legitimate... DJ background background yeah. with awards and, and the whole nine. You can't say I've never been a DJ. No, I know, but your Vlad, Vlad is just so big now. I mean, you, you've done your well. Thing. There is a Vlad TV Twitter, but it's not as big as the DJ Vlad. Got it. Yeah. 
Well, listen, um, I want to say this is the longest interview I ever had. We had to push past four hours because he shaded me for the three-hour thing on Twitter. But no, um, let's give it up for Icon, DJ Black. And I appreciate you, man. I appreciate your guidance, support, your you know feedback, your open ear. And um, I'm glad we were able to do this. And thanks again for my interview on your platform. And your audience is amazing. And for those of you that are fans of DJ Vlad on his platform, anytime I bring my gay ass back, I don't want to see no gay hate comments in the in the in the chat. But uh, but thank yeah. you so much. Of course, man. And, and you know, like I just want to say this is that anyone who I've interviewed on my platform, if they ever ask me to come on their platform large or small, I'll always say yes. And I'll always make time to do that because that's the way I think that we should all be doing shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I think it's really annoying when you do someone's platform and then you ask for the favor in return. You know what I'm saying? And they and they give you that, that runaround. Mm. You know, um, like, uh, I'm not going to name any names, but name it's, been name. Done, it's been done, it's name been done before. Name. Uh, Charlemagne's dude, a brilliant idiot. What's his name? Oh, Adam Andrew Schultz. Andrew Schultz, yeah, he pulled that shit with me. Really? Yeah, so lame. It was so lame because because my last thing because I did Brilliant Idiots, and then every time I hit up Andrew, it's like, oh, yo, no, I'm doing this, no, I'm doing, oh, yeah, no, I got uh, this, and I was just like, man, fuck this, I'm not. You clearly don't want to do it. You told me to my face you would. I did your platform. Charlemagne came in and did my show, but you didn't, and that just it just rubbed me the wrong way. Because I don't do that to people. Yeah, I, I just don't. Even a small platform, like even if you're just starting on your podcast, I will come in and do it. Mm. Because, you know, I just feel that's how we should be working with each other. We sh we should, you know, it should be a partnership in a way. Mm -hmm. But yeah, not everyone feels that way. And uh, when you asked me, I was like, "Yo, I got you." Yeah, it wasn't even any sort of back and forth. It was like, "Yeah, let's just set up a date and let's do it." And this was right around the time he solved the Tupac murder. <laughs> but thank you. I appreciate you for coming on. And um, yeah, anytime. I mean, you're always welcome around here. We appreciate you. Yeah. All right. My man. We're out. Peace. Hey, thanks so much for watching The Jason Lee Show. To watch more episodes like that, click right here. And if you want to see more, subscribe below and click that notification bell.